Hello everyone, before we get into this episode, it's important for you to remember to be empathetic and understanding for every single guest that I have on this show. If you enjoy this content, please make sure to subscribe and follow because I do release weekly videos every single week. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Welcome ladies and gentlemen to Deep Dives into the Minds of Esports. My name is Blake Panashevitz and today's guest has been involved in esports for over 20 years, not to age him at all here, being primarily involved with the Counter-Strike scene. He is a famous known opera, he's amazing, he's played for teams like Complexity and Evil Geniuses, and he is now the head coach working for Lazarus Esports. Please let me introduce Daniel Montaner, maybe better known as Fraud. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me, man. Really, really looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited and like when I reached out to you, like I won't lie, I didn't know you that well. Like I had heard about you occasionally just because I'm not involved with CS that much. Um, but then I started looking into this and I was like, wow, this is this is some really cool stuff we're gonna get to talk about. Um so I, I always like to start off the show fairly easy. Um and one of the cool things about you is that you actually you speak Spanish, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, okay. I'm trying to keep the whole international man of mystery theme going on. So it has to be bilingual and everything too. I was just going to ask, uh, where did you learn to speak Spanish from? Like, where is your family from? Because there's obviously different uh, types of Spanish. There's the Spanish from Spain, Spanish from Mexico. I think Cuba as well has Spanish. Yeah, well, so my family is from Cuba, um, which originally basically were Spanish settlers. So if you trace back my history, my DNA and whatnot, my ancestry, uh, I'm pretty much like half Spanish Portuguese, uh, but my parents immigrated to Cuba or my grandparents immigrated to Cuba. My parents were born in Cuba. <clears throat> my parents immigrated from Cuba to the United States. And then I was born here in the United States. Uh, so I pretty much spoke Spanish until I was, or only Spanish till I was about like five or six years old. Like right before I started like kindergarten, that's when I learned English in the schooling system pretty much. And like, you know, my friends around here, but, uh, my household growing up, my parents, my grandparents, it's nothing but Spanish. Like we're, it's like almost seen as like a disrespectful thing to talk to your elders in English kind of thing. Interesting. So that kind of brings into the the cultural aspects uh, that I think we're going to kind of get into. But I just want to ask, just, I'm a huge fan of food and this is kind of like an issue oh, yeah. for me. Uh, and so like if you had to pick some food in Cuba that everyone should know and try uh, that probably got brought back home like for you, that is like a cultural thing in your family. What is that one food? Okay, well, I mean, you can't really import this thing called moro, which is like uh, black bean and rice. It's like you make the rice with, it's like, you know how you boil rice with water? Yeah. Well, you would boil rice with black bean soup, and oh. it basically creates the rice in this like beany flavor, and you can add a bunch of stuff to it. Uh, so it's kind of like a very, like a more advanced rice type dish. I love that. Um, I make that often here because you can, you can do it with anything. So it's like beans is probably the best thing that we got, and plantains, but... Then again, if you're talking about like import, it's probably tobacco, but I'm not really too fond of that. But like cohibas are obviously a really big thing. <laughs> but yeah, food wise, it's rice and beans and plantains. Like we're very simple people, a lot of farm, you know, it's like not too much going on over there, not too much protein. So we try and fill up on the, the other stuff sometimes. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that your family was uh, spoke entirely Spanish. Do you have, you have one? I know you have one older brother. Do you have any other siblings? Yeah, I'm a middle child, so I got an older brother and a younger sister. Okay, how much younger is your sister? Because your brother is, what, 18 months older? Yeah, my brother's 18 months older. Uh, my sister was born in 92, so oh. she's about six years younger. She's, I, I was, she's in her late I was, 20s. 
I was born in uh, 22 or 92 as well. So I there you go. Yeah, yeah. know exactly how old that is. 30 is approaching, even though I look 12. It's unfortunate. <laughs> I know. And the thing is that you guys were telling us a lot of stuff like, oh, you guys are 30 years old. And I'm like, fine, I'll be 33 next month. But hey, you're right around the corner. Yeah, ex- exactly. It's it it's terrifying. The only thing I have going for me is I still get carded at rated R movies. Like, Dude, I still get carded. Look at all this gray hair I got I, going on. You know, I, like I it happens. I did see that esports uh, age. I, that was the thing when I got into esports. I was like, oh, maybe I'll look older because of all the stress that I'm going through. Like, because it happens to everyone else. I swear to God, they look so much older. Uh, nah. so, oh, you still so, like you still could look young, but you just have wear and tear on your bones. You know, yeah. You could be like Dwayne Wade. You got like so much mileage on your tires. You know, you, you look fine. You look healthy. You look yeah. like you're a baller, but you've seen a lot of shit. Like these eyes have seen some. St- yeah, I, I can't wait to kind of get into that. So your your sister is uh, a few years younger. Your brother is about almost two years older than you. Um, so what was life growing up like? Because you grew up in Florida, right? Yeah, I grew up in Miami. Okay, so my Miami. Will Smith song stuck in my head now. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of looking at Miami and growing up, what was life like growing up for you in Miami? Well, I grew up in the suburbs of Miami, so it wasn't. You know, I'm not really too fond of that, like, crazy Miami lifestyle that people may uh, have an image of, like, the beach, the clubs, the champagne bottles and confetti. Like, that's not my style. I'm more of a simple guy. I, like I said, I grew up in the suburbs. Um, it's called West Kendall. So it's it's obviously a part of Miami, but it's just off to the side. Um, so I just grew up playing a lot of uh, sports. Um, like, I was a kid that was outside constantly. My parents used to always have to try and bring me indoors, try and, you know, put me down to, like, go to sleep, do my homework or something like that. But <clears throat> that was just really all about trying to do as much as, like, activities as I could. And, like, it was it was just a pretty normal upbringing. Uh, like I said, a lot of sports, a lot of activities where I mm-hmm. just – and I went to Catholic school my whole life as well. So there was a lot of, um, like, discipline that was, like, <laughs> forced down my throat throughout my whole life whether it was at home or schooling or even like playing baseball or certain things like it was just like non-stop discipline and like respect mm-hmm. and stuff like that was a big part of like everything that we, we tried to do okay so kind of hitting on that that you mentioned going to to catholic school uh was religion a huge part of your family and is it a huge part of your life yeah it is actually um my family is pretty much all catholic um like when I, I go to church every Sunday or I used to when I was growing up, uh, I did like the confirmation, mm-hmm. baptism, all those things. Um, I even went actually on a religious retreat uh, about four or five years ago um, to get into a little bit. Um, one of the reasons why I stopped playing Counter-Strike uh, like 2012 or something like that around that time was when my grandma passed away. So I was going through a little bit of a tough time with certain things. And I had, I had uh, basically moved to Dallas when I was 19 years old because my parents weren't really too supportive of my gaming habits. So I just packed up my shit, moved to Texas from Miami, stayed there for like seven, eight years. Uh, the kind of wake-up call for me was when my grandma passed away. So when that happened, that's kind of when, you know, I just, things really changed for me. Um, and that, yeah, it just, it was a, pretty much like a wake-up call that I had to get back over. And I went on, like, when I moved back to Miami, I went on some sort of, it's called Emmaus, or Emmaus. It's like a pretty lengthy uh, retreat. It's like a two- or three-day weekend retreat, no access to technology or anything like that, just going through a bunch of, uh, like, spiritual things, like, through the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. So I did that. Um, 
and that really got my mind right, kind of set me in a better path, uh, just mentally, just dealing with some of the things that I was going through, especially with the loss of a, a loved one. And then, um, yeah, like to this day, I mean, I don't necessarily go to church as often as I probably should, but I, you know, I try and pray as often as I can. I definitely believe. And, um, you know, even at worst, like I don't impose my religion or my beliefs on other people, but I think that at the end of the day, it just helps you to become a little bit of a better person if you have something, something else to kind of keep you in check, whether you call them Jesus, Allah, Buddha, doesn't matter as long as it's something kind of helping you, keeping you in check. There's something something strong there that you can kind of fall back on, and you have the teachings to. I can I can get behind that. Yeah, uh, to, like another not, voice, like I, yeah. you know, like you don't want to do wrong by your parents, and you don't want to do wrong by whatever figure you may believe in. So it's just another layer of kind of stopping you from doing something potentially. Yeah. So you mentioned that sports growing up was kind of a, a huge part of of your life, kind of going through that, and that that was like the the most important thing is doing activities. How did you do in school? Because I know you went to university for a little bit, but how was school growing up? Oh, I mean, like I was one of those kids. So like I found out like maybe five or six years ago that uh, when I was in uh, like, I think right before I got into first grade, the school had tried to pull me out and put me in some like advanced studies course because they saw I could actually go through and progress a lot faster in certain aspects mm -hmm. of schooling. My mom decided to against that to just give me like a more normal upbringing, especially in the schooling system. And uh, I was actually really grateful for that because of that, I was able to participate in a lot of like sporting activity. Like I was really good at baseball. I was probably going to be like a top recruited baseball player. I was a very good pitcher. I mean, <clears throat> long story, like different story. I went through puberty super late. Like I didn't, I didn't I'm didn't. i 6'2 now, almost 6'3. I didn't get to this height till I was like 18, 19 years old. Oh, wow. Had I known I would have been this tall when I was playing baseball, I would maybe have pursued it a little bit longer. But I stopped playing baseball because I was like 17 years old. I was still like 5'6", and I was like throwing watermelons to baseball players because I couldn't grow. You know what I mean? Everyone was growing around me. I couldn't grow. So it was one of those things that since I was just such an ultra-competitive person that if I can't be the best, I'm just going to focus on something else. Like in basketball, I was very good at it, but I was so much better at baseball, and I couldn't play the position or the things I wanted to do in basketball. Basketball, so I said, fuck it. I'm not even going to bother. If I can't like try and be the best at something, then I'm not going to do it. And that's kind of how it was with baseball. That's how it was with pitching because I was a damn good pitcher. And when I felt like I was one of the best pitchers in my city and my area and even you know South Florida, you know, it just kind of got a little bit boring because I wanted to do other things. But, you know, I, it was maybe hard for me to focus on one thing because – uh, some of those team sports, they're fairly individualistic, even though they're team sports. So I wanted to actually probably find something that embodied more of like team culture. Maybe mm -hmm. that's why I like basketball so much more, even though I never got into it. Baseball is like so many players. Pitchers yeah. are kind of they're on their own little island most of the time. Things like that. Okay. So uh, you mentioned that you, you should have been involved in advanced classes. Does that mean school was fairly easy for you growing up? Like it wasn't something you ever really struggled with? Uh, probably on the contrary, I just never gave a crap about it, to be honest. Like, I was very good at it, and I got straight A's, and, like, I graduated with above a 4.0, things like that in high school. But, like, I promise, like, if you would have looked at me, it, you probably would have thought, like, how the hell is this happening, you know? Like, I would, in my algebra, my pre-calculus classes in high school, I would be sleeping the whole time. My teacher used to wake me up to go to lunch because it was my lunch period class. And then he thought I was, you know, I was acing all of his tests, so he thought I was a big cheater. So he'd like make me take finals and big exams, like putting, you know, like his desk next to my desk kind of thing and like watching me take these exams and I'd ace them. I just, I was, I did not apply myself at all to school. Um, 
and it was I, I became a Counter Strike pro when I was 16 years old, yeah. pretty much. So that was uh, sophomore and high school ish. I started playing late freshman year. By like end of sophomore year in high school, I was already considered like a pretty decent player. I was kind of moving up in the rankings a little bit. So that just, I mean, that just gave me even. And I, I don't condone it. I, I yeah. just, I'm just, you know admitting to how it was right no, like, it's just 100% 100% I, mean, I feel like uh, like if you could go back and look at like six or let, that's not you 16 because you were a pro at 16 you would tell yourself continue on probably if you were 16 but looking back at like oh, yeah. 12 13 14 15 um do you think that you would give yourself some advice of like oh hey take this stuff seriously like there, there might be some importance you might be able to get some things out of it I mean, I don't know, dude, to be honest, because like when I like I, I, I'm a very like factual based guy, too. So even like when it comes to schooling, like I made the decision not to go to college and or to drop out of college just because the things that I potentially wanted to pursue, like I have a real estate license. You don't need yeah. to go to college for it. You know, certain things like this, like I I've done work at like a bank. I've done staffing roles. Like I don't if I don't believe that you need to go to school unless you want to be like a doctor or a lawyer, like something that you have to like have something for. Um, because if not, if you're getting some general education, you're just kind of wasting time and money, you know, might yeah. as well just get into the workforce and start gaining experience. It's much more valuable. Um, so that's kind of always been my mindset. The thing is when I was going through middle school, I went to like a Catholic school, middle school, Catholic, different Catholic high school. I found out most of the things that I was learning was wrong in this forms of like proper math, uh, proper things. So like it was just kind of a joke for me. Like, I guess if I would give myself any advice, it'd probably be to, you know, like take things seriously, but maybe don't like take things as law because I kind of was things that I was learning in my middle school. I kind of assumed and like, I thank God I wasn't ignorant enough to be like, okay, let me just stop, you know, remove what I learned before and learn something new. Mm -hmm. A lot of people I'm sure were kind of stuck in like, Oh, but I was taught this my whole life. Why should you be teaching me something new? So I felt like, you know, if you're, if you were like, thank God I wasn't ignorant like that. And my parents were always keeping me grounded, but I feel like that could have been probably a potential issue if things did not get off. Right. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that uh, you've kind of mentioned is like, uh, you have a really strong work ethic. You seem to have a really strong, almost like support in your, your own mental mindset and the way that you do things. Where did that come from? Cause it, it sounds like it started off fairly early on, um, that you were just like really good. And like, like, even though you were sleeping through class, it wasn't like you were failing classes. In fact, you were acing them. Right. And so like you still valued uh, stuff to like some degree. Where do you think you got that from that value in putting it like doing the best that you can do? Yeah, 100 percent from my parents. Um, you know, like it's a little bit different. Like, I guess to paint a different picture, you know, like for most people living in America, like they were born here, their parents were born yeah. here, whatever the case may be is like my parents went through hell or my grandparents went through hell to get my parents into this country to give them and to give their children, which they didn't know at the time was me, <laughs> like a better life, you know? So mm -hmm. I think that mindset, I just grew up appreciating the little things a lot more, like not taking things for granted. You know, like if I ever felt like I was uh, getting like some sort of privilege or whatever the case may be, my parents would slap me in the back of the head and kind of remind me, you know, where you came from and things like that. So I really attribute a lot of that to like, especially the work ethic to like my parents, like my grandmother on my mom's side, uh, she's one of eight. Um, she never went, she has like an eighth grade education because, or sixth grade education. No, maybe less like third or fourth grade education because she had to drop out of like, you know, middle school to take care of her five or six siblings living in a farm in Cuba, you know, kind of helping keep up a farm and stuff like that. So it's just like, and then my grandparents to paint a picture too, when Fidel Castro came over, 
or my grandparents took over the country, they basically said that you have two or three years to leave. He actually only gave the people one year or something like that. So like a fraction of the time he actually announced that he was going to give when he took over Cuba. So my parents or grandparents on both sides, because they obviously did not know each other. Um, they just each both said, you know what, this is bullshit. We're not going to deal with this. They, they literally, whether they were, whether they had money or they were poor or is irrelevant. I think my, my parents, my dad's side was fairly wealthy in Cuba. My mom's side was just like normal farm people. It didn't matter because when you came to the United States, you could not bring a damn thing. So yeah. you all came into this country as a poor person, pretty much. So my grandparents, uh, my, fa- my grandfather was like a pharmacist. He was then pumping gas at like Sears. You know, my grandmother was a housewife, things like that. So it was like my dad's the only child. My mom is one of three. Um the work ethic and the appreciation for a lot of things was, you know, forced down their throats when they moved into this country, when they were young kids. And then eventually when they met, had me and stuff, it was kind of, you know, obviously being like, I'm, we take pride in being Cuban American, but it's also being Cuban. It's also being American. So it's, you know, appreciating the history of the past and then, you know, being a damn good, you know, being a good American citizen, because we are very grateful for the opportunity that we're given here. Uh, Cause so much worse from where we're from. Mm-hmm. So kind of looking at that, you come from a, a very interesting uh, background, like obviously your, your your parents moved here and they found a better, or your grandparents moved here, found a better life for your parents and for you. And they kind of uh, in like entrained in you guys, like hard work that is, ethic is how you get places. Um, so I have to jump aside a little bit because I, I like to do this occasionally. And this is, this is really telling who the person kind of is a little bit and what they believe in. Um, so if you had to say... Uh, uh, like kind of looking at uh, immigration, seeing as your parents are immigrants and they, they our grandparents uh, were immigrants coming in here and your parents too. Um, how do you feel about our current political climate for people who are like that? I mean, I think it's fine. Like, to be honest. Um, okay. So I understand that there might've been like some preferential treatment to the whole Cuban community because we had that whole wet foot, dry foot policy thing going on, which I was okay with because what people don't understand is that it's so bad there that people are willing to get on a raft and f- take yeah. a chance to float here. You know, yeah. you may miss Florida. <laughs> if you do, you're fucked. So I understand that there was a certain need for it. I get it now that it may not be that bad. So I'm glad that they kind of took away that wet foot, dry foot policy because I felt like we should, we as Cubans should not have differential or preferential treatment when it comes to all immigration. Mm-hmm. I think that immigration, like, first of all, my parents are legal immigrants. They, they immigrated to this country legally. They've been outstanding citizens. Mm-hmm. My parents, both of my parents have never been arrested, never been in jail. Same with my siblings. Anyone in my family has never been in jail or anything like that. So, like, we came into this country to try and be the best citizens we can be. So I think that everything done legally and properly is okay. So I, I, I'm okay with certain laws toughening because what happens is that you have immigrants like my family that came into this country that we would – bleed and die for this country because of the opportunities given to us. Most other immigrants, especially nowadays, just want a damn handout. So even to immigrants like us, it's almost offensive because, you know, we came here to work. We came here to be a part of America and other people are wanting to come here to just to collect the paycheck and have America take care of them. So it's one of those mindsets of, I think that if we tighten the laws a little bit, um, we make sure that people are doing it correctly. We're not like abusive, 
um, and people are trying to acclimate themselves appropriately into society, then I think that we should not have an issue because America is based, you know, is grown upon immigrants. Like even if your parents were born here, they yeah. eventually came here from the fucking Mayflower or something. You know what I mean? So it's like America was founded on immigration. It's just legal immigration yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Okay. So kind of looking at uh, growing up, you, you mentioned this family aspect in Cuba, because uh, you even mentioned like uh, your your mom's uh, mom had like a fairly large family. Um, did you have a lot of family in the States or was it mostly just like your, your grandparents, your parents and your siblings? Yeah, it's very, very tight family. Like uh, my extended family, like uh, for, like I told you, my, my grandma has yeah. eight siblings. I think only one, maybe two moved to the United States. Um, and one was recent and one passed away a long time ago. Like one was here for maybe for like five or six years of his life. The other one has been here for like only five or six years recently. And they're my grandparents. They're very, very old. Um, that's it. Uh, so my dad's only, my dad is an only child. My mom has an older brother, younger sister or younger, older sister, younger brother. The younger, like my uncle just had, uh, one or two kids. So I have little cousins that are like seven or eight years old, like very young. Like there's like a 25 year age difference between me and my cousins. My grandma, my aunt, uh, she has three children that they're all roughly around my age, like my cousins. But I mean, I really technically have like three cousins around my age, you know, a brother and a sister. And that's kind of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so family reunions are very small, <laughs> but it's very intimate and it's nice because yeah. we all like know everything. Yeah, that's, that's probably that's probably very, like, very nice because you always have someone who you're like, oh, I know this person really well. So if I really need something, then these are the people that I can call and talk to and rely on and they are going to to be there for me. Uh, yeah. And if like if someone gives you like criticism, you you uh, you'd, you'd appreciate it more from someone who you feel yeah. like knows you a little bit more intimately. So in that case, I don't appreciate I appreciate criticism more coming from family because they know probably more about me, even if they didn't agree with some of the things I was doing growing up. Mm-hmm. So you already mentioned that your your parents weren't very supportive of gaming, which back then I can kind of understand it a lot. Like at least like nowadays, like there's some like major structural stuff. It is a lot scarier. It was like the wild wild west uh, of yeah. gaming and esports. So like I I could see that being like there was nothing to turn back on. You couldn't be like oh look at these franchise leagues that are actually happening. That this yeah. is like legitimate. Like none of that stuff existed back then. There was no um, really other games. Uh, no. East Counter Strike was like the only ones. I mean, yep. my parents hated it. My parents hated it. Uh, you know, their mindset, like, I, so not that you know a little bit more about that. It's like their mindset was we didn't come into this country and immigrate here to give you a better life for you to play fucking video games your whole life. You know what I mean? So, like, that's kind of what their thing was. And <clears throat> my argument to them was that you brought me here to this country so I could be. Like so I could be anything. I could be whatever I yeah. want. Like America is like your canvas. Like you could be whoever the hell you want to be in this country. And I want to do that. So like I've always had aspirations of doing stuff like that, like regardless of what they would tell me. You know, like it, there's just I felt like I was not going to be denied of that. Like when I shifted my motivate, I wanted to be a baseball player, but then things happen. I had like a injuries in my back shoulder. Like I would have to have like Tommy John surgery, like some bullshit when I'm like a young teenager so i just channeled all that competitive spirit into video gaming and yeah they did they were not happy about it like i said i was kind of threatened like when i was in high school it was cool because yeah you're pulling in decent grades and you're making decent money so we're okay with it but then when i started like okay so paint a different picture i also i graduated high school 
as a sophomore in college. So I could have started college and would have only had to do like two and a half years. I think I I ended high school with like 30 or 40 dual enrollment credits. Oh, wow. I uh, clept Spanish. So like I took a, I took a test at, at the Florida International University, FIU, to uh, clept Spanish. So I got like 10 credits in college after like taking one test. So I pretty much had like right around 60 to 65 credits, I would say, like maybe over just, just over a year or two years of uh, college. And my, my parents were pissed because I just said, fuck this. Like, I don't want to do this. Like I was starting to start traveling to Spain. I was going like my car, I was getting paid a little bit more money. And it, it wasn't even about the money then because I'm talking like I was getting paid like 500 bucks a month. And I went to getting paid like 1500 bucks a month. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I wasn't, I wasn't making a lot of money, but when you're in high school, it's, it's okay. And then going to tournaments like in Spain, like I, my parents, they started seeing that I wanted to not go to college. They told me that my job, whatever I was doing, gaming is bullshit. Even if I was making almost as much as my parents, like 30 grand a year or something like that, or my mom, cause my dad, my dad had a better job. Um, they just saw no longevity in it. Um, I just, I basically got threatened that I need to get a real job or move out. Like they're, we're not going to let me live at their house not going yeah. to college, playing but, video games all day let's, long. Let's back it up a step because, I, like, I'm trying to figure out where – how did you get time to play video games? Like, that's, like, that's like, the first thing because, like, uh, you were doing sports. You were doing school. I understand when you when you left sports, right? So, like, you're 12. Had you started really getting into video games at 12? Uh, that was more of a fun thing. I think that uh, when I got into Counter-Strike, that's when gears really shifted because – other games were more of a casual thing. Like I would play StarCraft. Yeah. The com- like I was, I would start getting the competitive juices flowing, but it was more of like me against my buddy who was kind of shit or like we try a custom game and it was kind of fun. But I was like, damn, it's like playing video games with other people is like really, really that's, that's where the fun's at. It's not just playing like solo games or like baseball games, like on uh, like Super Nintendo yeah. and shit like that. It's like the interactive games, like that's where the fun's at. So, so it kind of fueled that basketball that you had uh, decided to give up. When did you decide to give up basketball? Probably like 14 as well. Like I was pretty good and I wanted to be like a shooter and stuff, but I just was the short chubby kid. Yeah, like sure. I just could not grow. So like baseball, I was better. So I just stuck with that. You know, like I was trying to do dual sports and stuff. And then it got into like when I was 14, 15 years old and I started playing Counter-Strike, that for me was pretty much like when I was playing, like I'd have to argue with my parents, like when can I get like two or three hours to play? Like when I started making money, that's when I started playing all the time. You know, when it was summertime, uh, like every single weekend, I was pretty much going to like my buddy's house to spend like Friday and Saturday night at his house playing Counter-Strike all day long. So for me, it was trying to get as much it was qua- it was quality over quantity at that yeah. point. Um, so that's where I really focused on to make sure I got the best quality out of it. Like even if I had to stay up late some days, like I, like I said, I would sleep through a lot of my classes. So like when my parents would go to sleep at like 10 o'clock, that's when I would like r- pretend to roll out of bed and play until one, two, three in the morning in my room. So like the hardest part was getting a computer for myself because we had me and my brother had to share one growing up. So when I got my own computer and I started getting like sponsors and I could buy my own shit, my mom would get pissed at me and take my monitor to work. I'd have no monitor, but she didn't know I had a, I bought a backup in my closet. You know what I'm saying? Like things like that. So there was a lot of things that went on that kind of helped me skate skate through the early the early teen years. You know? 
Yeah, that sounds like a very... I've actually heard that with a couple pro gamers who I've talked to where they, they've had to do stuff like that uh, because their parents did, didn't really uh, support it. My which... very first tournament was a CPL, like one of those major tournaments. Uh, I went to CPL when I was 16 years old. My grandma flew with me to Dallas. <laughs> so she That's was amazing. My, she, was my chaper- she was my chaperone, my first like big... My parents were just not letting their 16-year-old child go anywhere. That that is um, amazing. So, um, when did you uh, give up baseball? What happened with that? Because baseball sounds like it was pretty much an important uh, moment. But then you mentioned that you had an injury that you you would have had to get fixed, and that you weren't growing. So when did when did that come about? I would say probably when I was like sixteen, like right right when I was doing a little bit of Counter Strike and doing a little bit of baseball at the same time. I um like my arms just started hurting. I like, I, I started throwing curveballs. and I was, I was super competitive. So even though I knew I was not supposed to throw curveballs until I was like 14 or 15, I didn't give a shit because I wanted to strike out the other kids. I wanted to be like one of the best pitches in my area. So I just knew how to win. So I probably fucked up my own arm and did not listen to coaches telling me not to throw curveballs because I just wanted to win. So eventually that kind of caught up on me. The fact that I did not grow until later i had to throw more like junk pitches you know shitty pitches to kind of get people out rather than just throwing fastballs and regular pitches um so it was kind of around that time that it was just like a a natural transition out like the baseball was getting boring for me because i was when you start getting into 16 and 17 year old range like this i was trying to make the little league world series and even after it's like when you're a pitcher you don't play the field anymore you're like a damn pitcher like you don't hit, you don't field during practice. You sit on your ass or you, they make you do like certain exercises and stuff. So I was like, man, like baseball sucks now. Like I used to love pitching. And when I wasn't pitching, I was playing third base or first base or something like that. So for me, it was like constant playing. Like I had like, I don't have ADD, but I feel like I do kind of thing. <laughs> so it was one of those things that I just had to be doing something and, ba- and pitching was like, okay, I play every four or five games or every three games or whatever the case was at the time. Cause you can't burn your arm out. I'm like, man, this is boring. So I think a lot of that was, you know, like, how do I, I, I felt like I was probably better suited to be more of like maybe like a quarterback, even though my parent, my mom never let me play football. You know, someone who's like a captain of a team that's actually driving the ship, not someone who's just kind of on his own island. So for me, that's where I was like searching for, I guess, and Counter-Strike really kind of gave me that outlet. Okay, so it was just a like almost like a natural transition then because baseball yeah. was more individual and you don't it doesn't sound like you like individual things very much. You I feel like you really appreciate like the team dynamic and what is involved with that and getting all these different minds together and working with with each other together to maybe outsmart or outplay the other team. That sounds really yeah, important to you. Yeah, it is very much and like I was like joking with my 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 guys yesterday, the guys I'm coaching uh because you know, we, we had, we had a really good successful game. We're like, man, like we thought these guys were going to do something different. And I'm like, well, the thing about what you guys, the way that you guys are thinking is you're just thinking one step ahead. You have to be two steps ahead because if you know that your opponent is coming in, trying to be a step ahead, you have to know their game plan. So that has to force you to be a step ahead of them. You're technically Mm -hmm. have to be two steps ahead. Not because you only have to, you also have to prepare for yourself and what you want to do, but you also have to have the understanding that the other opponent is going to do the same. Like they're not going to come in. It's a, it's another professional team. You think they're just going to walk in here and just hand you a free win? No, they're going to try their ass off. They're going to study you. They're going to try and have a game plan around you. You have to try and predict their game plan. If you want to try and predict anything, it's got to be that because they're not going to come in here doing what you maybe study or doing what they did to the last opponent or whatever. It's a brand new game plan. And how do you figure that out? 
you got to be ahead of them. So you have to put yourself in their mindset, think about how they prepare. So a lot of the psychological stuff after the game comes into it. And yeah, like I tell people all the time and I've even had conversations with like other players who like maybe we, we, we removed a player recently and I've heard certain things that he said to even his teammates. I'm like, look, those the way that this person speaks is the way is this guy should not be in a team setting mm-hmm. because that's more of an individualistic mindset. That's in the way that I view sports is I view Counter-Strike like a basketball. Yeah. Whereas if you want to have that individualistic mindset, fine, go be a golfer, go be a tennis player, go play a solo sport or a solo esport, and go dominate, dude. If, if you feel like you're never wrong, go. But for me, that's where it becomes kind of frustrating, right? Because like I'm someone who's seen tons of success in gaming and I never go out there and I tell people that I know exactly what it takes and I don't have like an ego with it. Right. So that's why when I hear conversations like that, it kind of like, it turns me off on a different level because I'm like, I've been there, done that. And I don't even do that. So I don't understand like where you get away or get, you know, where do you feel entitled to kind of act like, you know, more and think, you know, are better than anyone when you actually have no success, when you have no like track record in it. And then other people who have done things before you don't even operate like way, you know what I'm saying? Like the Michael Jordans of the world and stuff like that, like, sure, they may have their own like ego because they think they're better, but when they're practicing, when they're a teammate, like they're a good teammate, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just like they motivate others they bring the best out of others like it's they know that they're not going to win if it's not for their team okay so kind of i want to jump on that a little bit there because i i have seen that like working with different people and different players um as well and that that is not an uncommon mindset in esports i feel i feel like that's actually probably if i had to bet uh, is there more people who care about their team and are willing to do everything or is there more people who are thinking about just themselves um I'm going to bet that there are probably more people thinking about themselves. Um, yeah, I mean, how, do you, how do you feel about that? Because that's how I feel. Yeah, I agree 100%. Actually, I think it's probably more of a cultural thing. Uh, that's why when you hear about like any Counter-Strike or anything becoming a meme out there, that's exactly what it is. It's the fact that most people or most players in America are have that entitled, privileged kind of attitude that they think they deserve it. They think that they should be the best where it's like you got to work for everything and whatever you have can be taken away from you the very next day. So it's all about, you know, the way that you, you know how you appreciate what you have. You fucking work for it. You know how you know how you like show that you're grateful for it. You continue to work at it. So it's like my work ethic or the fact that I wake up in the morning motivated to work and to do something. That is my way of showing the world and giving karma to the world, saying that I'm grateful for this opportunity, not just speaking it into existence. You have to actually do something about it. So I think that's a huge problem in what goes on, because most of the players here in this country don't understand that. This, you know, like you're only as good as the rest of your players, like you're only as strong as your weakest link kind of thing. Yeah. So it it just doesn't work like it's it's sad and it's annoying. And that's kind of why a big motivation as to why I got back into coaching and why I was looking for the proper opportunity, not where I could just be a coach, but I could actually be of like heavy leadership opportunities here where I can really force what I know works into mm-hmm. a team. and if you ask my guys and I yelled at them a lot yesterday, even after we won about a certain thing is if you talk shit to the opponent, I'm not going to get mad, even though I feel like you shouldn't. Um, If you uh, lose a match, I'm not going to get mad. But if you don't respect your teammates, I'm going to be fucking pissed. And that's where I'm going to get onto you. And I'm going to, I'm going to force you to be a good teammate before above anything else, because I demand that people show respect to everyone in the same 
Like we all share the same goal. We all want to get to where we are. So we all have to put our egos aside and get to the common goal. And if people can't respect each other and talk to each other properly, we're never going to address issues. We're never going to have proper yeah. conversations or difficult conversations. When it's good, it's good. And when it's bad, it's bad. Well, we have to learn how to be a better team when things are going bad, right? So fundamentally, it's all about respect at the beginning of the day. So for me, like I could have been someone that even in my history, tons of people, like I only played on the same team or this, like I played on a couple organizations, yeah. but the same core of players for like eight, 10 years. So there was only maybe 10, 12 people, individuals out there that know exactly how I operate my day in, day out. Everyone yeah. else was pretty much a hater or someone that I beat up all the time in games. And they were like, oh, this guy's a fucking asshole, blah, blah, blah. The people who really know my work ethic, my mentality and how I am as a teammate, they know that I will die for them. Like that that's part of how it is. Like I, I'm a Leo. So I have a lot of those like weird kind of intricate things as far as like how I like to like, you know, like a leader doesn't like mm -hmm. say they're a leader. They just fucking go and do it. So that's kind of like, I am that guy for my players. Like I have their back. And that's how it was with my teammates. But if you're not with me and you're not a part of my team, like I hate you and I'm sorry about it. And people just, yeah, I don't say I hate you, but they can yeah, probably feel it because I just they're, love they're my like, guys more. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're functionally like your enemy. If you're not part of the team, then you're, you're, you're not yeah, helping. If you're not cause. with me, you're against me. I'm sorry. Like, it's just how it is. Yeah. That's how, yeah. and that's how it was with my parents too. Right. Because if they were not with my, they, they did not support my gaming. So I just packed up my shit and left. And it was, you know, my, 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 me and my, my dad didn't talk. I had like a proper conversation for almost two years yeah. after I moved away. Um, me and my mom, like we, we spoke all the time, but it was, you could always tell there was kind of like a, wow, you, like you really actually moved. I'm like, yeah, I ain't fucking like, I'm not fucking around. Like I wanted, I want to be the best at this. I was considered one of the best players in the world almost at the time. So I'm like, I'm not going to give up this just because you guys are being like ignorant about it. And we were about to be on a TV show on direct TV. Yeah. So for me, I'm like, okay, so if you're not seeing that direct TV now is establishing a TV show in 2006 or 2007 kind of thing to like really get this esports thing going, like then you guys are never going to get it. So I just packed up my shit and left because i'm like okay at this point you're really not going to understand and it actually it started like hitting my dad a little bit more when he because my dad's a successful banker he's like really yeah. good at what he does he started talking with some international clients from like china and stuff like that and they asked him they're like hey uh your last name is montana like is your son named danny they're like how the fuck do you know my kid like well like your son's super famous in china so like you should be proud of that you know what i'm saying so i think my dad started realizing because my dad kind of has that like weird like egotistic not ego but i would say like he's very prideful and yeah. cuban the, the the last name montaner and like how we how we are whatever so i'm like dad like i'm doing good by you right like you're you're known in your world and your banking world here where like i'm making our name like super known around the world for like my accomplishments and stuff so i think that's when he started to come around and realize that like even though what I was doing was video gaming, I was a part of something much more than that. And, you know, maybe his mindset and his being an immigrant and stuff didn't allow him to see the other side of the world yeah. and the technology and stuff, but I was not going to be denied in what I wanted. So it was more of, you know, they could either be with it or not. Yeah. So your, your very first, uh, like you mentioned that you were a pro at 16. Okay. What did being a pro at 16 look like? Cause contracts have come like just using contracts as an example, were you like a contracted getting paid 16? When you say pro, is that what that looks like? And what did that kind of look like? Cause contracts have come a long ways in the last, uh, what, 13 years? 14 yeah. Years? Yeah. They, no, they definitely have. I mean, so 
my first like i would say semi-pro team was uh almost getting into invite levels and my 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 first real team was called united five yep and we were considered kind of a pro team because we were getting a, a small stipend we were having we had sponsors like nvidia but all they did was pay for our travel um we had jerseys and stuff so i mean i would consider us a pro team because no one was really getting paid but we did have some excuse me we did have some sponsors that would take us around places and do some activations and cover our flights so for me i was like oh my god perfect i don't have to pay because i used to pay for my own flights everywhere i used to go were like, you working same, another job how did you pay for that no i would just like oh my i mean i would like <laughs> like i would probably i would pirate like uh music and sell cds to kids at school uh i would burn like dreamcast video games and sell them at school like i was doing anything to make five bucks ten bucks here and there and save 100 200 and boom throw it on a flight and then christmas came around i would ask santa claus for 100 bucks you know what i'm saying like whatever i did to get money all i did was hold on to it and use it for me to get to events mm -hmm. um pretty much yeah Okay, so that's that's your first team, sixteen. Um, yeah. What does it look like up until the point that you decide to move? Like, what is your life looking like? Uh, how is it kind of going when you up to the point where you finally say, "I'm done. I'm done with dealing with the bullshit that's going on at the house. I'm moving to Dallas." I, so this was when I was with Complexity. I joined Complexity. Uh, would say like mid to late 2004, and that we started seeing like fairly immediate success. Um, it was more because we were all a bunch of players that were maybe like uh, I wouldn't we, like we were wanted by our previous teams. They were, our other teams were just going in different directions, yeah. so we were kind of like the odd men left out, and we were all very frustrated because like they all wanted to move into a house. A lot of us didn't want to move into a house. I was still in high school, uh, so we got left out, and then we ended up making a proper team, joining Complexity, and like we that's when we actually started having contracts. Like we were getting paid like. 500 to a thousand dollars a month like with within seasons the contracts you know i'll be lying to you if i told you exactly what the contracts were detailed but they were yeah. very straightforward they were like you play a season for me i'm gonna give you the x amount of money done like it was very plain like it okay. probably didn't even take more than a couple pages it was very bland and plain and jason lake um i have a lot of like there's a lot of like problems between us i would say but um as far as like him being a businessman like he was pretty good about it he was also a lawyer um i think like a real estate attorney and that's mm -hmm. where he got most of his money and his like history that's how he like got into esports and was self-funding most of what he was doing so he kind of he knows the law like he's not about to go out there and abuse people like that so you know we we, were, we started things off on the right foot what really took off was when we got contacted by DirecTV that they purchased the rights to Complexity and Team 3D, which are the two largest organizations at the time. Yeah. And then that's what started the TV show. And then they, you know, did a draft and kind of franchised, not franchised, but they did a draft and created franchises. Um, and then so, that's so where it went. So they, they also switched games at that time too, didn't they? Like versions of Counter-Strike? Yeah. yeah um, so, yeah. Was that something you wanted to do? Because you were you were rising up, you were uh, known as a uh, like coming up as being a great player, and then all of a sudden you have to switch versions of the game. Like that sounds like if I was in your position, I'd be like, "Whoa, whoa, what's happening? Why are why are we doing this?" Yeah. Well, no, actually, so for me, that's why I even love Counter Strike Go because I'm one of those guys that I always have like an innovative kind of approach to the game i don't have like an old school like oh it has to be this way you know what i'm saying so when i came into when i came into counter-strike i was nobody like there was already pros people at the very very top those pros 
kind of did not let me get in. I had to bust my way. I had to become the best player to say, you know what? Like, I don't care if you guys are going to kind of like not allow me into the little click or whatever of the top players like i'm gonna surpass you guys and i ended up doing that because i was like these guys these old school people that were in here before me kind of have this really poor approach to younger players or people that have different outlooks on life it's kind of like how like people hate on steph curry for being like a offensive badass when you know basketball is a defensive kind of sport like defense wins championships kind of thing well he's changing the game the way the game is being played and people had that kind of problem with me because i was that guy that was the ultra aggressive player in a game that was meant to be played like passive you know i was the only person who buttoned up 24 7 on land online when other people were like ah it's like an online thing when i'm lagging get a free kill i don't really want to use it on land it's like what the fuck like so I had a whole different approach to the game, I guess. And, you know, it just was not going to be stopped there. Mm-hmm. So you're falling out with your parents briefly when that happened. What did that look like when you decided to finally to leave to say, fuck this, I'm done? I mean, it was very easy, to be honest with you, because I uh, there was a period of time, actually, that when they gave me that first initial threat, I actually got a, a real job where I was... Uh, working like nine to five, nine to six at a, uh, a real estate company doing post-closing, which is uh, basically when the documentation, when you do a closing on a property is signed and done, like all the HUDs that show all the line items of all the charges. Mm-hmm. I was the one that was processing a lot of those documents, preparing them, getting them ready to actually go to the courthouse to get officially stamped. So I got into, I was a grunt at a, at a mortgage company, um, but I was working there working my ass off, like working 50 hours a week, making like pretty much minimum wage just to satisfy my parents. And I was gaming hardcore. I didn't give a shit. So we had a tournament in Spain that I mentioned earlier. Um, I pretty much, and I could not go because I didn't have vacation days. And the, my boss was my dad's friend who she's just a fucking capital B. Like this lady was, I've heard so many rumors. Like she's made like my dad's, my dad's bosses cry when they were younger. Like she was just like, Jesus Christ, you put me to work with this fucking lady. But, Anyways, obviously, she's not going to give me any time off. So I quit my job and I flew to Spain and I pretty much told my parents like, hey, I'm going to Spain. Like I'm out here. Like, let me know if I got a place to come home to. If I don't, then I'll move to Texas with my teammate who lived in Houston and was going to let me. His parents were going to let me stay with him. Like at his like he had a house and then he lived like above his house and like a some rooftop kind of thing. It was like a weird like home, like a, a room built above. A, and like, there was an extra room there. So I would have just gone to Houston. Um and then after Spain, we got like second place. Um, that's when we really started beating some of these like legendary teams. And that's what, like, it really, like I was already kind of on the map, but this really put us out there as like, okay, these kids could actually like, win shit now. And yeah, like I was lucky enough that my parents said, okay, fine, you can come home. But they were really pissed. I ended up moving three, four, five months after that anyway. So that was pretty much like my transition or my, my call to them saying like, like I really don't, like I call your bluff like 10 times over, I'll call your bluff. You know what I'm saying? Like if I don't got a place to go to, I got money saved. I got a teammate tells me I can go somewhere. Just tell me, tell me, I, tell me if I can come back or not. And you know, just kind of putting it on them like that, calling their bluff basically. Mm-hmm. So now you're, you're fairly young when you, you moved out, right? Like 18 or 19. You yeah. Said I, was just, I just, I just turned 19. 
Yep. So that's pretty young. And like, I mean, it's not unusual to move out when you're 18 or 19 for a lot of people, but you didn't move out in uh, the best of ways. You mentioned that you didn't talk to your dad for two years uh, and that you talked to your mom and it was, it was very strained, um, like the talks and stuff like that. Um, Do you have any regrets about that? Like losing out on like two years of, of your dad's life, like looking back on it now, are you like, wow, I really wish we could have handled this better. I wish I could have done uh, this or this better. I was I, I honest. I think that he probably has more regrets than I do because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're someone that um, like you want to be somewhere and you want to go somewhere, like you don't want to be denied that opportunity. Right. Like, like I'll forever to this, like I'll forever in time believe that what I did was in my best interest and what I yeah. should always have done a hundred times over. Because if I ended up becoming the best in the world at something for several years, like there's not many people that could say they were the best in the world yeah. at something. Right. So that opportunity and those accomplishments have allowed me to have a successful career outside of gaming. I got a good job at a staffing company just because the guy said, I just want to talk to a guy who actually has the balls to put professional gamer in their resume. He, we had a conversation. He loved me. He gave me a job. You know what I'm saying? That experience ended up transitioning to potentially getting a job that my dad got me to be a small business lender at a bank where I pretty much taught myself how to be a lender. I had a million dollar lending limit in a bank and I opened up accounts, managed a lot of accounts for people. I, like I said, I taught myself that job, but the experience I had in doing sales, I guess I have just a really good mind for numbers and certain like I could teach myself things. I'm a really quick learner. Um, allowed me to transition that but every single opportunity that i've had and i've not you know missed out on things like i've always been able to find work has been because of gaming and because of my resume and the accomplishments within gaming so Mm -hmm. like i don't regret any of that um what i do wish maybe is that you know i kind of tried to see if they would open their eyes a little bit more but i felt like i did a pretty good job or what i could maybe i should have tried to go the extra mile to explain to them certain things, but I felt like I did enough. Like my parents were watching me and matches if they could, they were watching me online. My mom was coming around to it because she started seeing certain things happening. My dad is just more ignorant in that kind of mentality. My dad is like, you know, college job, wife, kids. Like he just like, there's, there's a step, there's steps to life, son. No, like not everyone follows those things. Like no, the the special people in the world, like the one percenters of certain things, like they don't, they, they go against the grain. That's why they are who they are or why they've done what they've done because they go against what's the norm. Mm -hmm. So did your relationship with your grandma deteriorate like byproduct of, uh, your, your parent, not talking to your parents too, or did you still maintain a relationship with your grandmother? Oh yeah. Like I, I still had a great relationship with my grandparents. Um, they were probably the ones that were, they were just happy that I was doing stuff because, well, my, well, my grandma, my dad's side, the one that passed away because my other grandma's still alive. Um, she, she was scared if I left the, the house to go to the grocery store. So she was kind of like someone who was like a scaredy cat with everything. So, but she was one of those people that was like, she was happy for me. She's like, wow, this kid, like, look at him. Like he's traveling the world. He's playing video games like i don't get it but wow like this is amazing to me so the only regret i had at the time was like i could even tell this now is like not having like i, I had an amazing relationship with my yeah. grandma my regret was not 
visiting her more often or taking like since i had a poor relationship with my parents it was not my priority to like go back home to miami yeah. to visit my family so i wish that that i got to do that more because after eight years i only visited them like two or three times that was what really dawned on me like fuck like I had eight years. My grandma was deteriorating over the last several years, and I was only able to visit her like once or twice, like during those periods. And that's what motivated me to go back to see my family. But it was almost too little, too late. So I think that that part of it was, you know, something that was very tough on me. And being a young adult and someone who, like, even though I was, you know, mature and I did a lot of things young, I was the best friend in the world. I moved out at 19. Like, I was also immature in other aspects, right? So I think that that kind of open my eyes to like how life really is, you know, how things are. And that's when I had a different mindset. Like I had to get like Counter-Strike was dying at the time we were forced. Like that's when Counter-Strike go came yeah. out and then it died. And then I went back to 1.6 and then there was rumors about, uh, I was about source and then go came out yeah. and then it's like, go had no funding, no money. Uh, we had just, uh, we got fucked over by evil geniuses because, uh, this guy, Alex Garfield, uh, he's a scumbag um, and he kind of just did us really dirty. So like he had a big part in my opinion of killing 1.6 off in a way, uh, just like doing, doing a lot of damage to the North American Counter-Strike scene that eventually kind of died out, which, you know, rightfully so it should have. And then everything went over to CSGO. But that's when I was like, I don't have the time for this. Like I'm living in Dallas. I got bills to pay. I'm not getting paid for Counter-Strike. I got to pay my bills. A girlfriend at the time like i had a lot of things going on at the time that i just i had to work and it, if it wasn't yeah. going to be kind of strike then i had to get another job and i yeah. tried to play kind of strike still but it just wasn't working yeah let, let's get up to that point then so you, you're in complexity right um you're working with you stay with complexity uh a long time like you're with them for multiple years um, and everything is, what was that time period like being with complexity? You just, you told your parents for two years of that time, listen, um, I'm basically, I'm doing this thing, whether you support me or not, you're going through that. You're probably focusing only on gaming at that point, which was probably a huge change. Um, uh, like being able to dedicate all of your time to gaming. Um, so what was that time period like with you with complexity? I mean, it was amazing. Cause like, I mean, it was amazing because of my teammates, not because of like the organization or the owner. Like, what I tell people to this day is like, what helped with us like bind or bound together as teammates was our mutual hatred for the ownership, because he was just like an abusive kind of person. Like the way that he would speak to people, the way that he conducted himself, he was just a, like overall, just a really poor individual. So can you give me an example of what that looks like? Because when you say like abusive means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Can you tell me like a story or an example of something that would kind of really showcase that? Uh, yeah, like so uh, their current coach is Warden. Yep. Uh, he was my teammate for many, many years. Um, Jason Lake, like we'd have practice from like 5 or 6 p.m. We'd be done at 10 p.m. He'd get home like pissed drunk at like midnight and demand that we get on there and scream because he wants us to play he's like i want to see you guys play like we've been practicing all day We're like we just had the day off i don't care i want to see you guys play so warden would get into arguments with him like oh you're fucking drunk or whatever jason lake would cut warden and i as the best player in the world at the time would say no if you cut warden i'm walking so i would throw in my contract to save my teammate mm -hmm. that happened multiple times where he would just wake up cut someone because he was drunk and he was pissed off at like, maybe like we said something or like Matt said, stop being like a drunk asshole. Okay. You're fucking cut. Well, okay. Well, I got your back, Matt. Like I did that multiple times. So 
that's why I was pissed when I came back to Complexity and those guys did me dirty because I showed a lot more loyalty than not many people understand. Um, like I've seen Jason Lake, like, uh, be physical, like potentially slap like another player, you know, like for saying stuff. So like I've, we, we've seen some shit and he's not like, he's not like a, a, a I would say like, I mean, he's not a bad evil person, but he, he's not, he's someone that, you know, like I said, us, us as players shared the common hatred and that's what made us better friends and better teammates and mm-hmm. ultimately what probably brought us and that organization a lot more success because we just had so many things that kind of kept us in check and that was just one of them like so, so when you talk about like team relationships and needing to bond as a team this is almost like a common enemy that you guys were like okay we we honestly need to stick together because if we don't stick together we literally have nothing Exactly. So it was like being ran by Thanos or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like we were ran, we were like, our boss was like the head of evil corp or some shit like that. And we were just the people that were making evil corp great. Mm-hmm. And it just so, yeah. I was going to say, do you think that this is a lot of early esports organizations and owners? Cause I mean, it, you, you went from that and then no. you went, okay. No, no, no. The, the, the things, the examples I told you about is just one person yeah. and their, and their, uh, inability to control their alcohol or their inability to, you know, be an adult in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, that's on him. There was plenty of other individuals that ran organizations that were not doing some, maybe they were doing other things and they would probably keep them more private. There was no other team that was going through the level of bullshit that we were going through. Um, they just and it wouldn't even fly today, to be honest with you. That's oh, yeah. why it's almost sad that you know he's still around and doing some of these things, and not many people talk about it. I even give shit to Warden all the time, like we're friends and stuff, and I still talk shit a little bit about complexity and and Jason Lake because of that. I even told Warden all the time, like we're just different people, brother. Like you're my friend and I love you, but we're different people. Like you'll I, like you'll never catch me dead. Like I will never ever ever work for with or associated to jason lake and complexity no matter how much money they throw my way and they've offered me many times to like come back and coach and whatnot mm-hmm. that's who i am matt may look the other way like matt still works with them and Warden has been working with them for several years and manager coach like after all the things that he's been through and how many times he was cut like i would have never revisited that and then like i said like when i came back and i was playing and they kind of did me dirty. Like, they lied to me. Like, obviously, I hadn't played Counter-Strike in, like, three or four years. So, like, I was super rusty. Even Counter-Strike Go was not going to be great for me. But they lied to me and told me that the players I was going to come back and play with, because Warden was my coach at the time, and Jason Lake was still the owner. Oh, these players, they can't wait to play with you. They're going to, like, welcome me with open arms. Like, we're going to give you, like, six months to get back in shape. Like, we know what, you, what you're capable of. These kids hated me. They didn't want me from day one. Jason, they lied to me about all these situations. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty much removed like within like a month, month and a half because I was set up to fail from day one. Even yeah. like Warden was not existing as my coach at the time. The individual players were like abusive in the sense of like they didn't give a shit. They didn't try and help me. Nothing. So it's was like, I'm like, I don't even like I, I learned a lot from those mistakes. And the one thing I really learned is complexity and Jason Lake are utterly dead to me. So, and in fact, it's not even that they're utterly dead to me. It's that they're other, they're on the other side of the coin. So if you're the other side of the coin, you're not a part of me. Like I said, I want to destroy you. So like they're, he knows what it's like, like they're on my radar. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I won't like, they're part of my destroying complexity and beating complexity is like a huge part of my motivation for being back. So it's like, you know, it, it, I just appreciate them motivating me so much and they know that I'm not the person that they should be motivating with that, you know? Yeah. So you mentioned that Jason Lake was a, a, 
like the thing that kind of brought you guys together and you do that. And eventually you guys left complexity because he didn't get you a contract in time. Uh, you talked about this kind of before. Uh, and so you end up joining uh, Evil Geniuses. Okay. And you've already said that uh, Alex Garfield was one of the most evil people. Yep. Is, you have a terrible luck with having to yeah. And like you know what the sad girl? part is? I've, I've done a pretty good job of helping build their careers, too, because uh, yeah. Alex Garfield was Jason Lake's grunt uh, in CGS. He was like the assistant manager or something like that. After that, he left. Then CGS died. He went over and got Evil Geniuses, which, by the way, Evil Geniuses was an organization not created by Garfield. It was created by some guy in Canada. He had the organization. It was an established Counter-Strike team before. He just kind of took the name. And then he just like the, the guy from Canada, like gave it to Garfield and Garfield just took the name and then like obviously made it bigger. Interesting. Um, and that's also why uh, Evil Geniuses was dropped when they bought purchased by Twitch. Uh, Evil Geniuses was operating as a talent agency without yeah. a agency license, which is why Twitch ended up dropping them, which is why Twitch ended up firing Alex Garfield pretty much from their company. So, I mean, it's not like he's a great. Like, yeah, he's a cool businessman, and some people say, well, he, he made EG, didn't really make it. He made a lot of money from Twitch, lied to Twitch, and got paid. Like, not really a good guy, you know what I mean? And now he's so, back with Pop Dog. Not I was really just going to say, I, I know that he's packed yeah. with uh, Pop Dog and stuff, but I kind of want to go into this because it's, it's, I think it's kind of relevant now, um, especially when you look at Face Clan, which you were briefly with Face Clan too, and the, the Tifu stuff going on uh, and related to a very similar issue with uh, arguing that they're a talent agency and doing kind of a similar uh, thing. We'll see what the courts of California decide to say about that. Um, but what was it like being underneath Evil Genius? And I actually have a question for you before we even get into that. Was Sir Scoots there at the time? Because I know I did a, yeah, a show with him. He too. was. Okay. He so, was. So uh, he 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 was not the decision. So me and him have had our beefs, and we have a long history. So I've known Scott since 2003. So I've <laughs> known him for a long time. When we were on EG, it was beautiful. I was like, man, great. I get to work with Scott. Like he's been around. He helped found Gottfrag. Like amazing yeah. person. He saw a lot of the things that Garfield was doing. And we actually cleared the air between me and Scott recently because I was very pissed off. And I, I, the fact of the matter is, and I told him, I was like, the reason why I hold you accountable to some extent is because when Twitch got paid, when Twitch bought EG, you got paid. Therefore, you are an owner of something. You should have known better, done something, and at very minimal, you're an accomplice too. Whether yeah. whether you did not agree with it, whether you didn't want to bring the hammer down on certain things you could have stopped something potentially, or you saw it happen. Okay. So you, you can't claim like complete innocence. You know what I'm saying? So that's where it's like, you know, as long as like we cleared the air that he, you know, did what he could. A lot of it was not on him, which I understood. We had to clear the air because we hadn't had a conversation since I left EG in, you know, six, seven years, uh, pretty much on that. And I'm just an outspoken person. Um, like I said, I help build a lot of these people by my work ethic, by my accomplishments. So I don't get the credit that I deserve from those people or even some of the players do. Like, for example, if you want to say who were one of those top players that helped build complexity, we me and Counter-Strike and Clayster and his boys over in Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. I doubt you see Clayster and those guys and guys like me getting love from Jason Lake. You know what I'm saying? So it's like whoever could be a good yes man, like he's got your back. If you're a no man, if, if you... You speak your fucking mind like you don't really have too too long of a career there unless your skill set like speaks for itself. 
Mm-hmm. So when did, did you you meant you went from this toxic environment that was complexity? You get picked up by EG. What was that environment like? Was it was it beautiful? Was it glorious? Because you you mentioned Alec Garfield's a piece of shit. I've heard a lot of other people say that. Uh, some of the stuff I've heard like that he did uh, to some other people I've heard is pretty shitty. Um, so what was it like being underneath the organization as a player though? I mean, it was pretty shitty. Like I lived, I lived. Uh by myself right like i had rent due on the first like eg paid me late almost every month whether it was on the 10th or the 12th of the month or something like that i was getting paid late constantly to a point that it was almost like a meme between me and my uh, apartment complex like hey let me know what the late fee is i got you and i was getting paid like 1500 2000 bucks a month right so it was like my 800 a month rent ended up becoming a thousand bucks like it's a lot of fucking money like 200 dollars extra on late fees is literally 10 percent of my salary right yeah thank you garfield like that was a literally every month situation it was just one of those things that like we were we got abrupt we had a contract uh, that was going through the rest of the year six months into it he just cuts us and pours all those resources into huck that fucking annoying dumbass kid from starcraft so it's like okay like you pretty much cut the whole counter-strike team the whole like 10 twelve thousand dollar budget or whatever you allocated a counter-strike and you gave it all to one dude who was just a piece of shit but it's like you still didn't even honor your contract with us and just like abruptly cut everybody kind of thing so there was just like another one of those situations like the thing is that I stayed with the core players, right? So yeah. like me, Storm, Warden, some of those guys, like we never were not teammates pretty much, right? So it didn't matter if I was, if we were being abused by Jason Lake or being abused by Alex Garfield, like I had my boys with me. So like, I just like, we all played for each other and wanted to win for each other. And that was good enough for us. Like there wasn't really many other options out there. So that's why I obviously regret not being able to speak up a lot more on some things, but it is what it is because I've been blackballed plenty enough by being an outspoken individual in this industry. Um, and at the end of the day, I really don't care because I would rather go to sleep at night knowing who I am and what I've done than, you know, kiss ass and get the right And having a clean conscience, feeling not guilty exactly. that, the, that the decisions you made were at least honest and to yourself versus. Yeah. Oh, I know guys like Jason and Alex, like they probably have a tough time sleeping at night. I'm damn sure about that. Like I sleep like a fucking baby. So like, I'm, like I said, like I told you before we started, I got a lot on people. They don't got anything on me. So like, it's a very good position to be on, especially for having a clear conscience and being able to just sleep at night. Yeah. So uh, kind of looking at that, uh, you go through uh, EG. I have to ask, like, uh, so this might just be because of the, the scene was still fairly, like, young. Like, looking at, like, even, like, 2010, 2011, 2012, this, the scenes are still very young with esports. Uh, League of Legends has... Uh, is just starting to really get popular, which um, uh, is starting to kind of promote things in other areas as well. Um, but CS was really the the only scene for a very, very long time. Um, did you ever think about like suing them for any of this stuff or like late contracts? Did you have an agent back then or a lawyer? Did any of that stuff ever come up? No, because like there was nothing. And it was like I said, it was just pure abuse. Like, for example, here's another example. Like, that's why this this is what led me to messaging Scott was his whole defensive denial. Like, I love the fact that he did that for denial. But I kept messaging him in private like, oh, so that that piece of shit is pulling a Garfield, you know, it's like, oh, OK, like, I mean. You've seen this happen before. Like, I don't, well, I wish that you were the defender of honor for me while you yeah. saw this go on. That's basically my argument, right? Like, we got abruptly cut from evil geniuses. Like, it mm-hmm. was like mid contract, boom, you're gone. And it was more of like, oh, by the way, 
if you don't sign this document saying that you won't talk shit about us publicly, we're not going to pay you the back pay of salary that we owe you. And we're not going to pay you the ESL cologne, I think, uh, prize money that was in already. So it's pretty much like, hey, if you don't sign this document saying that you're not going to publicly bash us, we're not going to pay you your last like three, four thousand dollars, which mind wow. you, like I was broke. That could have been like two or that three, four thousand dollars was the kind of money I needed to put me through the next three or four months to be able to f- transition to a real life job or whatever the case may be. So like, yeah, fuck it. I'll fucking sign it. That's why I don't care about admitting it now or saying it now because come at me for signing that because you know what? I was fucking under duress and so were my teammates because it was pretty much like I'm broke. I'm going to get evicted. If I don't sign this egregious and bullshit document, I'm not going to get paid. Like that's, that's as duress as possible. You know what I'm saying? Like no person. And it's, it's illegal to make me sign something to say that I won't publicly tell the truth on people and you won't pay me what you owe me. Like I've already owed, I've already accrued this salary and you've already collected this prize winning. You're just not going to give it to me because I don't sign this document after you've cut me. Like, okay, that's why I didn't go public with EG like a year or two after, but that's why I don't give a shit to say it now because fuck those guys. And what Garfield did was no better than what Denial did or what this Denial guy was doing as far as like paying his players late, um, threatening them that he won't pay them unless they sign certain like complete bullshit documents. Like he won't release them from the contract unless yeah. he signs bullshit things. Like, yeah, that, 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 that's why I call that the Garfield. Yeah, because it's happened before. Like, I, I feel like a lot of esports is doomed to repeat itself until we get, like, more... Like, it's getting better, but you see these cases where it feels like we're literally just copying the same things that happened, like, years ago. And it, like, kind of baffles me a little bit, because I'm just like... Well, it we doesn't it because it's an old boys club. It's because yeah. you have the guys like Jason Lake and all those people that are just circle-jerking each other at all these, like hall of fame conferences or all these other ownership group conferences and it's like oh who can we enter in the next circle jerk and as long as those guys are keeping each other content that's all they care about but really what has to happen is those pieces of shit need to like leave the community you know like they're the ones that sure they did a lot of good for it but they probably done a lot more harm and it's unfortunate that guys like me and guys like ward and other people don't speak up a lot more about it but like i'm not gonna i'm, I'm i've been over the whole keeping quiet thing for a long time now it's just more of finding my voice and finding the right opportunity to say things um what do you think about that old like this idea of the old boys club because i i think that esports is very hard to break into for new people and especially if you don't know people like speaking from experience it took me a very long time to actually break into esports um and it was damn near impossible until you started knowing people um in my opinion it feels like it's uh that way for a lot of it um do you think that that's a per- pervasive issue within esports that it, a lot of it is, oh, it's about who you know, um, and that those are the people that if, I mean, obviously networking is always important, like for whatever job field you ever go into, networking is important. Um, but yeah. it, does it feel like with esports, it's more closed off? And if you're not with the people, then you're against them? Yeah, it can be. I mean, that's where I was going back to telling you, like, um, when I was getting, was growing up in the scene and I was such a good player, like it, be- it became evident to me that there's that old boys club, whether it's in actual Counter-Strike pros or the owners. Um, so the one thing that I kind of relied on is I'm not a political person. I don't like I'm not I'm not someone who takes joy in lying and things like that. Like I'm not someone who could orchestrate these intricate web of lies and kiss someone's ass. Like I don't do that. Like I'm a, I'm an honest person. I'm a straight shooter. Right. So like I feel like I'd rather be dealing with stuff like that just because you kind of know who I am. I don't have to spend more time guessing who you are. So I think that that that's 
it's it's complicated but yeah man like it, it's one of those things that i just made the mindset of i will be so good i will focus on being so good at what i want to do that i can't be denied so i don't necessarily recommend that for everyone because not everyone's going to be able to turn out to be the best player in the, or the best person in their certain field or their job but it probably should be some form of a balance between the two which yeah. is, you know, you know, play the political game a little better because I don't like the reason why I could say what I could say. And the reason why I can call someone out is because of my experience and my accomplishments. So I don't necessarily recommend everyone doing that because you'd have to have a little bit of, you know, history, experience, accomplishments to kind of give more weight to what you're saying. But at the same time, like, don't be a puppet. You know what I mean? Like, that mm-hmm. would probably be like my biggest thing. Okay. Because, so, yeah, like you, 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 the thing is that there's plenty enough opportunities, right? Esports. The reason why esports is such a beautiful place is this is a canvas for entrepreneurs. You could do whatever you want. You could be whoever you want. Like, and nowadays it's a blessing that I have a job as a coach. I could even be a manager. You could do talk shows. Like you could be an event producer. You can be working for a tournament organizer. There are plenty of opportunities out there that if you burn a bridge because you're not kissing the right ass or the right kind of ass, you can go somewhere else and do something different. You know what I mean? Like you can probably try and find your way. So the most important thing that I would say is make sure that your work ethic and your results is something that can never be denied or taken from you. Those guys can come on here and say whatever they want from me, but you can never take away what I've accomplished and what my teammates have seen me do and what they the work ethic they've seen me done. So it's like, just never don't give, don't give other people a reason to take something away from you. Yeah, I can 100% agree with that. So kind of looking at uh, the end of Evil Geniuses and on your way out, what was it like the the last year in Evil Geniuses? It was Up pretty good. I mean, leave. it was it was not bad because like we started getting we started catching our stride like towards maybe the middle end of the year. Like we started winning. We won our first like kind of international type tournament. We started actually like showing the kind of we 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 left. So I was one, I was voted the best player in Counter Strike 1.6 and had like the best stats. We went over to Counter Strike Source, same deal. Like I was the best player in Source. I had the best stats in Source as well. And then we went back to 1.6. That's where it started becoming like okay, got to really grind again. Got to really like get back to it. First year, I think I made it to like the top 15 in the world on HLTV. Uh, we didn't really win much, so it was more of like damn, like um, not that I'm not deserving of top five or top 10 in the world at this point. It's because like the results aren't there. Maybe yeah. like there's certain things within my skill set that's not there too. So that forced us to grind more, practice more. We didn't really have, like I said, a lot of the, the support from the organization as far as like getting boot camps and getting certain things going. Mm-hmm. Um, but we eventually started winning things and started getting better. So, you know, I was kind of frustrated that things did not work out or last longer at EG because I felt like, that could have been like my Virtus Pro, if you will. Like, yeah, we had like a, a core of guys like Neo, Taz, and Pasha, guys that played mm-hmm. together for eight years and were the best players in their country for their existence. We had a guy like Nothing who was like young prodigy. You know what I'm saying? Like, we had what it took to become a team that could have lasted into the end of people's careers properly, but it was yeah abruptly ended and things like that. But you How know. did you find out about the abrupt ending? Like, was it one day yeah. you're playing and then he's coming? He's like, guess what, guys? You're all cut. You need to sign this document or you're yeah, done. Yeah, it was like CGS all over again. Like, the way I found out CGS died, the TV show, is I opened up my webpage, like lacomplexity.com, and it ended up, like, having an announcement saying, uh, by the way, season's dead. And they're like, it's over. I was like, oh, fuck yeah. Good timing, right? Like, I just woke up 
opened up my webpage, see if there's any new posts. And it's actually like all of the .cgs.com websites. It's like lacomplexity.cgs.com or some bullshit. All of them had that message across saying like it's over. So yeah, EG was one of those things. It was like, oh, by the way, like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and release you guys. We're going to, you know, start going through the motions of some of these things. And then that's when, like, you know, a couple weeks later, it was like, well, okay, well, then just fucking pay us and let us move on our way. Oh, actually, this is that. Let me get into it a lot more, actually. We were all cut from evil geniuses. So this is why I say that Alex Garfield and Scoots in some sort of way were, like, accomplices to killing yeah. uh, 1.6 in North America because – we were it was like like i said it was a three like two or three of us that we were in a core like the best players in the country we had nothing who was one of the best players in the country as well like just we're just a badass player that's when basically alex garfield released and said okay i'm gonna cut all five of you like kind of strikers no more y'all can go we were going to go back to complexity we had talked to jason lake he was going to sign all of us and he had, it wasn't going to be nothing for crazy money. I think I was the only one that was going to get like a salary at the time, just because I had rent to pay to cover. It was going to yeah. be like a thousand bucks. It was going to be like almost exactly what I needed to cover rent. Um, and then when Alex Garfield found out that we were going to go back to evil geniuses and pretty much, or to cut complexity and walk there, he pretty much went back and said, actually, you know what? I'm going to release all four of you, but I'm not going to release nothing. And Jason Lake did not want the team without nothing. So effectively, Jason Lake took back his offer. Evil Geniuses kept nothing and pretty much cut all four of us and pretty much, like I said, you know, effectively fucked over the best team, all the best individuals. And it pretty much died off at that point because we were not like complexity was not going to offer us without one of our best players. We ended up like two or three of us went to some shitty team. Mm-hmm. But nothing was in his prime. Nothing was like 20 years old, 21 years old yeah. or some bullshit, like 19 years old. He had to sit on the bench for a full year working for Gunner Optics during his prime because Alex Garfield said, like, I don't want you playing. I'm going to hold you to your contract. So, like, that's the kind of guy he is. Like, he put – and then, you know, then the, and that's what pisses me off a little bit about nothing. And I tell him all the time. And, like, we're good friends. Again, same thing. We've bonded yeah. plenty of times. I'm like, you don't – like, you don't fucking speak up for this. Like, he, like, I've messaged him a couple times and I've dropped him a couple lines and he's probably ignored it and stuff. But that's where I say, like, you owe the community a lot more as someone who is like a veteran of the space to fucking speak up for the shit that you've witnessed and to improve it for the younger people. So that's where I like, I hold him accountable for that. I hold Matt accountable for certain things or warden. So, you know, that's where it's like, we have like, we're friends. We bond to this day, but maybe that's why those guys, like we're not the best of friends anymore because we just, we just think differently. You know what I'm saying? Like we just have different approaches to life. Like I'm not going to stay silent and kiss someone's ass to collect a paycheck. Like those guys may will, you know what I'm saying? And I understand because you got to watch out for yourself. You got to look after your family. So I understand. I don't recommend doing what I do because obviously I've burned, I wouldn't say I've burned bridges, but I've been denied opportunities potentially because of some things like that. But I don't care. Like I, like I said, there's no price for my soul. Right. So it's a good position to be in, but at the same time, like, yeah, you can, I wouldn't call them enemies, but you get your haters. You know what I'm saying? You get your people who are like, "Ah, oh, but why are you saying that? Why are you stirring the pot?" Like, well, yeah. you know, I'm 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 not content with what I've witnessed and what I saw, and I was raised differently to speak up for injustice and stuff like that. 
Mm-hmm. And you you mentioned at the end of Evil Geniuses, um, you were looking to go to uh, complexity. Um, you decided uh, against that, um, or because he pulled the offer, like it was removed. Um, what happens at the end of Evil Geniuses? Like when you when you get out of there, where are you, where are you thinking about going? What are you thinking about doing? Well, immediately we're saying, okay, like it's just our squad, right? So we're like, yeah. oh, Garfield's cutting us, EG's cutting us. Okay, fuck them. We'll go to complexity. Like we'll just. Yeah. Keep on keeping on. But then they remove the offer. But, what happens then? Right. Well, we have nothing because no one wants to pick us up. Like there are no other organizations that could potentially afford anything. So a few of us go on to an organization named Check Six, which yeah. at the time wasn't bad. But all they said was, is we can't pay you salaries. All we can do is pay your travel to like one or two events a year. So it was like playing Counter-Strike for them, like no offense to them, was like not really playing at all. Because like I said, I have bills to pay. Like I like I. I didn't play Counter Strike for money, but I played Counter Strike to get by. Like I was, I never cared about being rich off Counter Strike. I just cared enough to pay my bills. Yeah. I couldn't even do that with Check Six, and it was no offense to them. Like they did all they could. Um, so but, is that when you yeah. moved, did you move back home then? No, that's when I started getting a job. Um, <laughs> that's when I got like a job doing staffing uh, for a construction labor company that I would help. I was recruiting electricians, plumbers, welders, yeah. all that shit. How did you get um, into that? Is it just the job that was available or were you like, oh, this is something yeah, I, I really want to do? I had no choice but to, to find the job. So for me, I was like, I'm always I'm a good salesman. I know how to talk to people. I'm bilingual. So I wanted to get into a job that I can kind of do that. I was thinking about doing car sales. But I was like, ah, it's commission only. I don't want to do that. Um, so I applied for a staffing job because I was like, ah, staffing is kind of like uh, – <laughs> Don't take this the wrong way. It's like human inventory, right? Like your inventory no. is like your workers and then you like lend out your workers. You make money off the workers and they come back. But it's actually a really good thing because trades workers, like electricians, plumbers, whatnot, uh, HVAC, it's a very seasonal type job. So like a lot of those guys, they get laid off in certain periods of the year, which could be the worst times like Christmas, yeah. Thanksgiving. So it's like – uh, staffing companies are actually very good and they uh, help remove a lot of the liability for companies like the inc- like unemployment rates, things mm-hmm. like that. Like I can get into another conversation. But anyways, th- I just applied for that job. And that's the guy who I told you said, like, I didn't think you were going to be good. I just when you saw when I saw you were a pro game in your resume, I just brought you in. And then when we started getting to talking, he's like, damn, you're really fucking cool. Like, I'll just teach you how to do the job. And I stayed there for like two years and those two bosses are probably like I had that guy who hired me and then he left and then another boss came in. Those two bosses to this day are like some of my better friends. Like I have like excellent relationships with them. I even saw one of them. I went on a cruise last year and one of them was in the Bahamas when I had like one stop at one day in Bahamas. Like we went and we hung out. He told me to this day, they still like talk about me in the company, like the, the work ethic and the things that I did and the mental approaches, like, even though I was there for two years, yeah. like, like, oh yeah, the, the Montana is like, it's very, like we talk about that shit all the time. Like my people know about you there, you know, and it's not about gaming. It's about, like I said, the work ethic that I did when it came to the staffing and just my approach on things. Right. So yeah, a fantastic relationship with those guys. I mean, they were like, was it, was it, was it weird? Like, cause I, I imagine that you had some other jobs in the past, but a lot of your jobs have had terrible bosses. Like I hate to, hate to be the one to bring it up. Like you, you go from like a bad boss to bad boss to bad boss. And then you, you get this like other outside of gaming job and you have two wonderful bosses. Uh, was that yeah. weird? Yeah, it was weird. It was, it was, I was like, wow, like, this is what it's like to have a boss that like actually gives a shit about their employees. You know, like this is like, that's what really showed me 
like I knew that I was a leader in my team, but I was I was a leader of our team. Like I wasn't the captain of complexity. I was yeah. the leader, the out of game leader. Like I was the one that kept us together. Yeah. I, I led a lot of the, the the things that made like I was more of our unspoken of leader. So that's what made me realize that that's real. That that's what I was like. Okay, this is what I was meant for. Like having that leadership role because these are guys that were in leadership positions that would do exactly how I would do things, which is to like ride with you, show you how to do things. It's not. You know, like if, if I had issues with something, like I didn't know how to maybe explain certain things to a new client, like they would come with me, like they would go talk to them. They tell me they, they criticize what I did right or what I did wrong and try and make me a better employee and a better person. Like that's exactly what you expect out of a good boss. Right. So yeah. that's it kind of opened my eyes to like, man, it's not like like this is what this is what normal looks like. Like, you know, like obviously I know that it's it's probably more common to get a shitty boss but this is what it should be like. And that's kind of where, like, I was, you know, I just learned a lot. Like if I ever have a kind of leadership position like that or a boss position, like, like I said, even when I was working at a bank, I was a small business lender, but I actually worked out of a branch. And uh, I was one of the two or three officers at the branch. Um, so when the manager and assistant manager were not there, like I was the unofficial boss yeah. of the branch, like of all the tellers overseeing mm-hmm. the vault and everything like that. So those things help me put it like be put in a position where it's like a boss has to like ride with his people. Yeah. Like I'm one of you guys, like uh, I've learned from other people, like, um, you know, if you're the CEO of a company, like you don't need to put that you're the CEO of the company and the business card, you know, like introduce yourself as just a person in the company. And then if they find out you're the CEO later, that would help you out because they'd be like, damn, this guy's fucking down to earth. He's not someone that's like, Oh, I'm the CEO. I'm the boss. Like, Hey, you know, yeah. it kind of normalizes you a little bit. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. So or humanizes, what, sorry. yeah, humanizes getting back into it and hitting towards uh, this time period of evil geniuses. You ended up getting a real job um, for uh, two years. Well, I don't want to say real job because Esports is a real job too, but yeah. like you got a, you get a normie job. Okay. For like mm-hmm. two years and you're, you're working underneath that. At what point does your grandmother pass away? I would say uh, probably like maybe eight months into it. Uh, but yeah, about eight, eight to ten months into that job, because since I was I was there for almost just almost two years, um, I know that it when that happened, I, I, it took me almost ten months to a year to transition out of my job into my new job and moving back from Dallas to Miami. That it included like saving money. Like my parents never helped me with finances, so I always had to like figure it out. Like I had to, I ended up using my Sky Miles from all my travel to buy myself a one-way ticket home uh, with my Sky Miles. I the money I had saved, I used to get movers because I just had so much shit. I had to move my shit in my car and all that stuff because it was just more cost effective that way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like it, it took me almost a year to f- transition out. Um, do you, that's do why you remember I, when you found out? Like where, where were you at? What were you doing when you found out? Yeah, like I was at home uh, like after a day of work and actually it wasn't that I found out that she passed away. It was more of... Um, my dad called me and told me that my grandma did not have much time to live, that she only had a couple of days and that I had two choices, which was either fly now to see her before she passed or fly for the funeral um, because I was working a real job. Like I had no choice. You know what I'm saying? Like if I only have two days off from work, I have two days off from work. And if it was she could pass and it could take a week, 
I'd lose my job technically. So it was one of those, like, it was kind of rough in that case. And like I asked my dad and he said, you know, it's probably better for you to come to pay your respects after and come for the funeral because like, she's not doing well. Like she won't even really recognize you kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? So it was one of those, like, it was kind of a tough decision, but that's when it was like, it really wasn't a decision. It was like life kind of made it for me. I could not get a cheap ticket. Uh, the bereavement policies on the airlines were not good, you know, so it was just too much that I could not, like, I could not figure out what, what decision to make. So, you know, life kind of made its decision for me. And that's when I realized that I don't want to be put in a position like that again. I'd rather try and control what I can with that as much as I can. So that's when I was like, well, all my family is very small family lives in South Florida. So I'll be around the area, whether it's Fort Lauderdale where I'm at now or Miami or wherever like yeah. I could just be a drive away it's no problem but being in a position where I can't drive I have to pay hundreds of dollars to fly and I got to take time off from certain things like it's and they may not allow it it's just it was a uh, you know kind of like a just a bunch of stuff that I just did not like and that's what really just forced me to kind of change my my path of life again so or like the one that yeah yeah, that must have hit you really hard, though. Like being, I can't imagine being in that situation and like you're very calm and kind of collective now. Were you calm and collective then? Because I would have been a fucking mess. I mean, no, not necessarily. I felt like that's where I started to become a mess. Like I couldn't talk about my grandma or think about my grandma without crying. Like even going to the funeral, I was crying. Like even after I was crying, like it was, it was a very tough time on me as an individual because I always felt like I was this kind of untouchable person. And I was like, I could overcome anything. And this was one of those things that like you can't do anything about. So that's where I, I kind of go back to going to that Catholic retreat, like soon after I moved back to Florida, because that's what allowed me to like spiritually like connect with my grandma and make a lot of peace with God and her in just how I could have potentially come and seen her more. I, you know, just the course of life, like I felt like maybe I was too laser focused on like proving my parents wrong or something or doing what I wanted to do that it did not allow me to you know see the things that i potentially needed to which is like family and to try and look the other way and stuff but it was a lot to go through at the time so i even was like drinking a little bit at the time but i stopped because I was, i'm just not a drinker i don't like it so i like tried like oh let me go get fucked up a couple of times didn't do anything for me so i just stopped drinking so it was like it just brought me back to like family and religion so it was more of like moving back home someone suggested a catholic retreat from where i worked and yeah like it worked great like i can talk about it um no emo like i have emotion obviously but it's yeah. more of like proud emotion not like sad kind of thing you don't fall back into that grief of uh right yeah yeah it's like it's you make full peace with it and then like my grandfather passed away uh would say like two you three years ago which is like maybe a year and a half after that it was like obviously not an ideal situation but it was like perfect in the case of like i even got to make sure i got to spend a little bit of time before he left i got to grieve him properly and then like everything was done in my opinion like the way it kind of should be done so like i had no no issues no problems when it come to that uh you know it was just paying paying respects and doing everything the way that that person should do it and you trying to be like a pretty good grandson or son or whatever the case may be yeah and so kind of looking at that uh you kind of had an abrupt stay out of 
uh, esports at that time. Okay, and that's kind of we were I'll go back to. You. And I think that a lot of people might have been surprised um, that you weren't really involved with esports uh, that much. Was that intentional after EG, or was it just a combination of like uh, a lot of different things? Because you had you had ten months where uh, you could have been like you were working and you were trying to pay bills. Um, obviously, when your grandma passes away, it makes a lot of sense why you wouldn't get back in right away because you want to you want to you're like oh god family is something that I really didn't value and I value this and I need to make sure that I am put in a situation so I can value this like what happened in regards to gaming at that time I mean like I said so I was still on like that check six kind of messing around team for a little while um we played 1.6 but that was the beginning of like my work stuff and then when my grandma passed I obviously took time where I did not focus on anything I wasn't really on a pro team but then that's at the time that go came out so go had a rocky start in the sense that the game was very bush league and that there was no real money in it at the beginning so that's the time around the time that it was like i was in in essence life transitioned me out of it because i was still like actively playing like i even made like the first esca land playing go with my friends um, like the, the the final, I think we ended up losing to like complexity, which was like nothing and Hiko and all those guys. But we like we, we made the online league in last place in the playoffs, and we ended up like losing to the first seeded team. Yeah. We beat someone else and lost to someone else, but like we weren't bad. But yeah, I was going through so much shit, and it, like it was funny because after that land, I moved. I actually moved to Miami like a month later. Like that was the like final land that I would be in Texas, kind of thing. So I took it as like a my farewell thingy, and. At the other, like when I moved back to Miami, like the 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 scene was still not as developed. Complexity and maybe one or other team were getting paid at the time, um. So it was just one of those things that it, it wasn't that I did not want to play. It was just that it was not like the timing, you know. Like and then when I moved to Miami, uh, like yeah, obviously that was tough. But I also got a new job, and my new job when I I got a job uh, being a small business lender. I never worked at a fucking bank before. How, how did you get that job? My dad got me the job because he knew people that were like he's always been a banker for like thirty years. So he he convinced like one of his uh, old coworkers to interview me and like listen to me. So when I came down to like I think it was a funeral for my grandma. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took uh, an interview there. They offered me the job, and I told them that I'd move, like you know, three months later, like when I transitioned out of my position in Dallas. So, like, it ended up working well, and it was like the boss. He he was kind of he was okay, but he kind of wasn't like kind of weird guy. Maybe I would probably say probably more like Jason Lake, where it was like the morals and uh, just the way that like the way that we think about life is just not the same. Like we could work you know, great work ethic, like Jason and stuff like that. Like, but just the way that we. Uh, treated others and things like that just the values all that just completely different so i was able to find a lot of success there i was one of the like top producing people in my position within the first like few months like the first two quarters in my job at this brand new job i was uh like one of the top producing uh like small or like relationship bankers is what my title was at the time uh in production as far as like loans deposits all that shit and, so, so and the, you, you the worst performing loans, right yeah, like, well, like I was the guy at the bank that did business loans. I didn't give personal loans. It was only business loans. So it's basically like I had to learn how to read and do cash flow, which is basically reading and analyzing the tax, the business tax returns of mm-hmm. companies for the last two years and realize and finding out how much you could lend to them based on 
like their cash flow. So I did that. I basically I opened up high yield money market accounts, uh, lines of credits, things like that. But but primarily for businesses. So like I service the business and commercial side of banking. Where yeah, I did a little bit of personal banking, but it was more of like the guy who walked in and some people were my bank were busy. But I took care of pretty much like the sales side of things. Like that's why the guy gave me the opportunity because what I was doing in uh my job at the staffing company, like I was just a, I was a territory salesman. So I had to control all the, all the related businesses in my zip code and manage the accounts and everything. So I basically used technology and brought a lot of like technological tools to the table, to my job, which is why I got really good at my other job too. And then I brought those over, um, and those sales thought process ideas yeah. to my branch. And that's what ended up making me and my branch, which was one of the w- most, well, the worst performing branches in the bank into one of the best performing branches within like a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was like, you know, like I said, work ethic, like I spent most of my days working my ass off there from like 8 a.m., 7 to 30 in the morning to like 6 p.m. And then when I would get home, I didn't have time for counter strike because I needed to like sustain my job, right? So I'd go to my dad's house uh, and ask him about stuff at work. I'd be reading banking books and stuff like that because I had, you know, like I had to establish my job and be good at my job before I can consider other things. So once I got good enough at banking, that's when I started like looking at to like, okay, well, how can I get back into gaming? Okay, so when you look at uh, your 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 you've got your banking down and you're looking to get back into gaming, um, you ended up uh, looking to to come back as a player. Um, and so, how many years did it take you to to get down banking? Like six months, maybe. Okay, so like six that. months. And then once you get down banking, what do you when you look back at gaming? What are you thinking about doing? Are you thinking about going back to become a player? Are you thinking about uh, the going back into coaching or management? What was your thought process there? My thought process was to yes, do that. Like I wanted to become a coach or manager within a couple of years after I did that, but I figured that the the natural way of doing it would be to just come back, play, see what I could do, and then you know, the, the nat- like naturally transition to the other. Um, it came up to like a very abrupt end. Like I told you kind of earlier yeah. in the, the talk about, you know, they told me that, you know, to come back, we can't wait. Like, so what happened was I was working at the bank. I was doing very fucking good. I was uh, probably going to start getting offered uh, assistant management positions to start managing a branch, like an assistant branch manager, yeah. like even potentially getting into like corporate, like, you know, very, very high paying jobs. That's when I went to Warden's wedding. Uh, I was like one of the best men at his wedding. And that's when he started talking to me about like, you know, trying to come back because he was coaching complexity and blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, like sounds like a good idea. Like you're the coach, Jason Lake, blah, blah, blah. Three, four months later, all the conversations, all the bullshit they were feeding me of like, oh, these guys can't wait to have you. Like I had a couple offers. Like I, I was being talked to by even like I Liquid was talking to me at the time. And a couple other organizations were like very, very interested in me. Um, I wouldn't say like, I mean, I had a contract to like read over and look over. And if I wanted to go into liquid, like we could have potentially looked into that because James, uh, GB James was the coach at the time. And he really wanted me to come back and play under their uh, team. So I had options, whether that option would materialize or not, I would have 
probably try to pursue them or other options a little bit more to kind of hear them out. But just the fact that I was kind of fed that bullshit by Jason Lake and Matt, like, oh, we can't wait to have you back. Like, I'm the coach. Did, did you ask owner. if like, things had changed, though? Like, you went through all this bullshit for so many years, dude. Or was it like uh, like that new relationship, Honey, you invades, or like, oh, my God, it's so great. It's wonderful here. And you kind of fell into that. No, it was well. It was like that with Matt because I figured, okay, well, if the game is more structured nowadays, yep. if you're the coach slash manager, I don't have to deal with Jason. And since we've been through it all, like you'll be my layer of protection between like management. Um, unfortunately, you know, Matt was going through a lot of personal things after that, so he was more non-existent, and I definitely excuse him because personal things that he was going through yeah. was tough for him to be a coach and like a backup for me there but i still like get mad at him because he knew exactly what was going on like he he knew the players hated me he knew that the players did not want me on the team he knew that i really did not have six months to like get better like they told me so him knowing me and the history that we have he knew better that's why I hold them accountable a little bit there because mm -hmm. he knew that if I knew this information, I would have never put myself in there because I'm such a guy like just how we talk now, like how I like my teammates and I hate the opponents. Like, why would yeah. I step into a situation with people that don't like me or don't want to play with me? Right. Like, why would I someone who is all about camaraderie and friendship and teammates go into a situation where I'm basically forced down people's throat? Like, it just doesn't work for me. I've had the most success in, when it comes to like gaming in this country. So uh, when it comes to Counter-Strike, so, like, yeah. I, I know kind of like the mindset of what you would need to have like a team game and Counter-Strike to be successful. It's like, I would have told you no. Anybody who knew me would have told me, wow, really? Like, yeah, Danny would never be successful in something like this. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, that's where I hold them. And then Jason obviously knew a lot more. And yeah. he like got leveraged out by some of these players eventually. Like after one month, these players said, well, you know what? We don't want to play with Danny. And we actually three are going to like leave the organization and like fuck you over of your like pro league spot or e-league spot at the time if you don't cut Danny. So Jason like just fucking cut me like he turned his back on me instead of like cutting those three kids who he ended up like cutting all of them within the next couple months. Like none of those four players except uh, Def, who was a good guy like Def's a good guy. We had good conversations like I don't think Def necessarily wanted me gone, but like he was kind of the new guy in there. Like he knew I needed to work on stuff, but he like he also knew that I was not given a fair shot. He knew I was fucked over by like guys like Shinobi, um, RYX. Roka, like those dumbasses, mm -hmm. like they're just pieces of shit. Like, look where their careers are now, right? Like Shinobi, to this day, is getting fucked over. He got fucked over by Riot Squad the other day. Like, Karma is a fucking bitch. Roka, like, look at his career. Karma is a fucking bitch. So it's one of those things that, like, I did not have to play the bad Karma there. If eventually would have, but Jason Lake knew that, like, if he just stuck by me, we would have probably eventually built a winner, like I'm building here with Lazarus. So it's like he turned his back on me, and so you know what? Like, no problem. Like you, you're the one that put me in this position. You're the one that set me up to fail. And the moment that you could have showed a hair of loyalty to me, you just fucking call me and ship me home. And the problem too is I was also promised to be like they oh, they told me that I was supposed to get a good computer. Like I was playing, I was playing Counter Strike Go, trying to make a comeback, playing against guys like Shroud, which mind you, I wasn't doing that bad playing with 120 FPS because my organization oh, wow. promised me a new computer and did not send it to me. So I thought that being a 1.6 player and being a little ignorant in that case, I thought 120 FPS was pretty good. Like you could mm -hmm. max FPS 100 in 1.6, right? Like 
It's like, why would I think that you could do 200, 300 FPS, right? Like I'm a new Go player. No one told me. My organization never gave me the computer they promised to give me. My contract started January. January 1st, which would have given yeah. me enough time to quit my job and give my two weeks notice and whatever. Yeah. They forced me to start playing with them December 15th, which was when my bosses and at work uh, left the country or like left the state to like go take care of their like so they had to take vacation. care of everything. So I was literally like working from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. or 6.30 p.m. because I would have to open the branch and close the branch as the only officer. So I was working like 12 hour days. I basically was forced to start working with complexity during that time as well because the minor qualifiers were like mm -hmm. pushed sooner. So I was like waking up at 6 a.m., going to work at 7.30 going home at like leaving work at like six, six thirty, getting home at like seven and then mm -hmm. playing and then trying to relearn counter-strike with these bunch of dumbasses on a hundred FPS from like 7 PM to like one in the morning, rinse, repeat. Oh, and then like being thrown into like major qualification system. My coach was never around. Basically before January 1st happened, we did not make the major in my kind of destiny was set and i didn't even have the computer i was promised i didn't even start playing the day i was supposed to start playing and i was pretty much judged for the most part a lot on being a guy who is on four hours sleep working 12 hour days and then going home and playing five hours six hour days and being told that you're not playing long enough you're not grinding hard enough i'm like bitch like what do you want from me you know but yeah. like first of all and the reason why i hold complexity accountable to a lot of this is because after the fact they knew all this if you try and look up why I left or why I was cut or what happened, you will not find any of this information yeah. out there. They left it private. They stayed quiet and they threw all the blame onto me and tried to leave it like, oh, yeah, maybe he wasn't as like laser focused or dedicated. So they let me be the fall guy for what ended up being my removal and what ended up being a, a pathetic performance from complexity. Because like I said, all those players got cut. They cycled through like six or seven more people until they fell into the whole yay Android stand thing that got them to like a major run. But they changed like 10 people yeah. up to that point. So that's where I just don't like have any respect for that, you know, and, and uh, Warden has apologized, obviously, because he knew what they put me through and did. I've never got an apology from Jason Lake. You know, he messaged yeah. me the other, he messaged me a while back saying that we're releasing like a video. He'd love to give me like a private showing. I basically told him to fuck off. Like, can you please stop contacting me? Like, I want nothing to do with you. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Like, you knew what it was like. I basically told him that you're the new 3D. Like, you were our arch rival. Like, my arch rival was 3D back in the day. Like, that's who you are now. So just like drop it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just more of like, stop talking to me, dude. Like, you're a piece of shit. So you know, I don't want anything to do with complexity. I would love for my image and everything to be taken down. Like I just want nothing to do with those people and I will never want anything to do with them. Yeah. I, I don't blame you at all for that. So, and like I said, this is, this is private, right? Like, yeah. so someone that has like eight, nine years of experience with these individuals, this is what they kind of subjected me to, right? Like yeah. no one came out and said anything. No one apologized. No one said anything and just let me take – they were perfectly okay with letting me take the fall. The guy who pretty much had a huge part in building that organization, saving Warden's ass several times. Remember who was the one that threw in their contract yeah. a couple of times during our like our, our peak? Like when we were the best team in the world, I was doing that for him. I did not care about my pay or my salary or my future because I cared about my teammate more. So it was more of like a slap in the face to have to just like kind of deal with all that. And you maybe ask, we're going to ask like how things were after, you know, and for me, 
I spent a lot of time trying to look in the mirror and realize what I did wrong. Like, what could I have done better? And obviously there are certain things that I could have done better. But what I realized is the biggest lesson I learned is obviously that, you know, in the, in this world that there's tons of fake people. So, you know, don't expect someone to do what you would do for them. But to, it helped me realize who I was that, the way that I found the most success in this industry was being a leader of my people and being, being a leader of my group and trying to like lead men to success. When I joined this complexity roster, I was a fucking, I was a peon. I was someone's bitch. I was like, yes, I'll do whatever you guys need me to do. Like I was that guy that was just trying to be like, please everybody or everything. And it just wasn't working. Like in this industry and in this space, you have to have leaders and you have to have people that are like in the right position at the right time. The issue that we have is that, 99, 98% of the people that are in those roles are not deserving of it. They're selfish and they're egotistical where they care more about themselves. I realized that if I could be a good person within that 2%, then that's the kind of position that I have to find in esports. Yeah. And I could bring success to that as long as I have the ability to do what I know I could do best and to lead men to success, not to be someone's bitch and to do that. So that's why I am grateful for them fucking me because it's led, it's helped me find my voice again. It helped me realize who I was and what brought me success and how to continue to do that. So I'm grateful for that, but just, you know, obviously wish it didn't have to happen that way. Yeah. I, I, I hundred percent imagine that that was not something on that. So you, when you get cut from complexity, um, I imagine it's very abrupt and one day you're there and the next day they're like, guess what? Goodbye. Right. Like, yeah. I, so they had a Dota two house, uh, here in Fort Lauderdale when I was in Miami at the time, I got sick and tired of them not giving me my computer. So I started traveling and driving up to the Fort Lauderdale house, like an hour and a half drive almost every day Goddamn. just to go play some matches that um, we were having like some other matches. Like obviously we lost a major, but we're, now we were in the pro league yeah. and we were having to play a couple matches. I would travel there every day and play my matches from there and go home because I was like, man, wow, I'm playing a lot better. Like fuck 200 plus FPS. Like this is fucking ridiculous. Like, I, oh my God, Counter-Strike is so easy with good FPS. Like what the fuck? Yeah, so like the third day I was doing that, before I arrived at their house, like at 5 p.m., I got a phone call saying I'm cut. Like I literally pulled over like right outside the gate, pulled over, received this phone call. I got told I got cut, just drove my ass back home. Like Jesus Christ. Yeah, actually, no, I'm lying. I actually, I, 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 I finished going back into the house because I was like literally like 30 seconds away. I pulled, yeah. I, I pulled over. So I went in there. I thanked all the Dota 2 guys for their hospitality. I told them I just got cut. Um, you know, like I was obviously pretty emotional at the time. And then um, they told me that I was welcome to like stay there and hang out with them for a few hours. So I ended up talking to a few of the guys, had a drink, and then I went home. But like mm -hmm. I was cut, like my dreams were shattered there, right? So like what am I supposed to do? So you get cut, you, like you, you come back in after being in retirement, you're working in uh, banking, doing small business loaning, you, you get this opportunity to come back to complexity. It's almost like your, your revival, you're coming back in. There was a video that was cr a little bit cringe. I won't lie. A video yeah, it's very scripted by them, which is I, I like, know. I was pissed off by doing it. Like I it's, regretted it so bad. That's okay. It, it, we all, we all have those, those bad uh, moments in our life that we have to deal with. That is, yeah, that is yeah. one you're going to have to live with. Uh, but this, this comeback doesn't really work out and you were set up for failure. Um, and then you abruptly get cut and this comeback you thought might've been possible is just shattered in front of you. What is your thought process? What are you, what are you doing? Are you thinking, Oh, I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna try to go for it. I'm going to try to go for something different. Like your, your dreams are literally ripped from you. What, what do you yeah. do? 
I was like, this is what rock bottom feels like, you know? Like, I've never really, like, I was not, like, I'm okay, so don't take this the wrong way, but I'd never, like, fully believed in depression. Like, I understand it's a very effective thing. But for me, I didn't feel like depression is something that could be able to consume yeah. someone. So when I feel what it's like, what depression or rock bottom is like, I'm like, ah, okay, this is what it's like. Let, it can never be worse than this. Let me get better, right? So for me, it was one of those, like, I think you have to go through your natural stages, which like stage one is grieving, whatever. Like I had to grieve a little bit in that case. And I was like, what the fuck was I doing? So it was like a lot of self-reflection. Like I was like, man, what am I doing wrong? Was all these decisions wrong? Like I remember I told you my dad gave me the job at the bank. Well, how do you think that that conversation went when I told him I'm quitting the job you hooked me up with oh, I mentioned- to go back into gaming? I mentioned it wasn't good. Yeah. And I'm, I'm 28 years old, 29 years old yeah. now. Like I'm not a fucking... 17 18 year old kid anymore so that reignited a little bit of frustrations uh, with my family um especially with my father um so some of the like i even uh deaf and some of the complexity guys like they didn't even know to this day they're like what like they said like some people said i wasn't motivated or i wasn't like you know i wasn't giving my 100 percent to this comeback or whatever like they didn't know the relationship with my father, the the risks. So like if they knew certain things about me, if they took the fucking time to ask or to realize certain things, like when I told Rory that he's like, damn, like, of course you were going to give your fucking all if you're like risking the relationship of your father that you fucked up and then that you regained whatever. Like, I was like, yeah, like I wanted this badly. Like no one saw that. I'm sorry. Like when you're set up for failure, you can't succeed. Like it just yeah. does not work, but that does not mean that I did not, I did not want it, you know? Yeah. So, so what, it was, what yeah. was that conversation coming back? Did you go back to him? Cause you, you obviously like, I'm going to do this pro gaming thing and it did not last very long. And then like, what do you do when it, when it breaks? Do you, do you, are you crawling back home asking for help? Are you trying to get a different job? Yeah. I mean, I was trying, like, I did not tell them until like three or four months later until I found a job to go back to, um, uh, I was in, with FaZe Clan. Like I got, yeah. I got messaged by Slasher um, to join a team with like a former Quake pro that I knew, and uh, that kid Mendo, Mendo Kusai or whatever. Yeah, actually, funny uh, enough, the FaZe team. You mentioned that two of those yeah. FaZe players that you actually played with are working with an organization that I do some side work with, and I'm helping with um, Evoke and Vainless, uh, yeah. both on that roster. Yeah, so I know both of them. I, I told. I think they were, they probably have some pretty decent things to say about me because I. They do. So what happened They're, was. What happened was I was um, I so with with uh, Slasher like I have a problem with Slasher because he fucked me here and I'll go back into the story. But my biggest mm-hmm. problem is actually Mendo Kusai. Like the kid's a piece of shit. Like he is a legit piece of shit. So this is what happened. I was convinced by Slasher and Mendo or by Slasher to come back or to give Overwatch a try because yep. of all the money that's being into it. He's like, look, if you join this team with Mendo, who's the best, one of the best players and clamp and all these other people, you guys can get a sponsorship. Like you guys can like get a team and get paid. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, I need to get something quick. And now in gaming to then say, Hey dad, like, and Hey mom, like got a better opportunity. I quit my pro gaming thing. I'm doing this now, blah, blah, blah. Like just to, you know, kind of pray and hope that those three months just got deleted that I had no job and whatever. And I ended up blowing through my savings for the most part, just kind of just staying by like getting by from what I saved in the banking world. So anyways, because of that roster, because of slashers help a little bit because of my reputation and my history, phase yeah. clan, 
pursued us and phase clan said okay like we want to get you guys to be our overwatch team so i did the overwatch playing like i was playing and i was pretty decent but like i was with you know like what happened was is i we ended up joining phase clan and uh, they used me to get the organization to sign on within one week of me being on that team and getting that organization mendo cuts me and basically i was like so you guys just pick me up to help get you guys a sponsor with my name and then you're gonna cut me phase clan found out that that's what their intentions were and we're doing that so what did phase clan do like i love them for this what they do they made me the manager and we cut all of them and then we built a brand new fucking overwatch team like ain't evokia faneless yep all those guys because i was like you know what like perfect let's just get young guys motivated who are not out here to fuck other people over and the, the, i guess the uh, uh what do you call it like um the comedic justice of it all is i when i became the manager which within like a couple weeks of that team i ended up selling uh mendo's contract to cloud nine for an undisclosed amount of money and then they cut his ass after or benched him after like one or two weeks because they realized how fucking toxic he was so i was like yeah karma's a bitch like you fucked me i immediately sold you for like a bag of peanuts and then you got cut from there for like after a couple weeks and look what he is like look at his pro career it's fucking garbage too like he never played one match in the overwatch league he's some sort of content creator and he's like some egotistical filled kid that all he does if you tune into his streams is he's fucking bitching and crying about apex legends or overwatch like he's the epitome of why these developers probably don't do much because it's spoiled dumbass kids like him that are just man eh, but they should update this or they should update that or what like he doesn't know anything he has no experience like he, he doesn't he's like homeschooled very uneducated kid like i don't want to get into it too much yeah. but like he's just not a bright individual he's like like i said he's like probably dropped out from high school at like 16 17 years old like he's just so like and obviously he thinks he's God's gift to earth with zero accomplishments. So I just don't got time for people like that, you know? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So how long did you stay with FaZe Clan? Because I, I, I didn't actually know that you were a player for FaZe Clan. Because uh, it just says manager and all the stuff that right. I had found. Yeah, because I was um, there for one week. And yeah, so it was Mendo. Fuck me. Yeah. So, I, so I ended up staying with them for about a year and a half. Like I became the Overwatch manager. Then I was the esports manager where I was managing uh, – I was managing all the Call of Duty team's expenses. Like I was paying for their house bills. I was yeah. making sure that all their things were current in Call of Duty. I was traveling out to events to take care of the Call of Duty guys. Like I had a relationship with Clayster from when he was on Complexity Call of Duty. Mm -hmm. He knew who I was. So like we had great relationship. Like the benefit of being someone like me that accomplished what I did in Counter-Strike is that um, my experience and my accomplishments would transcend to other games where i at least get yeah. the respect of other pros from other games so i could be a manager for another video game where they would respect my voice and my my outlook on a game so it worked out great like i was managing them i was also helping the counter-strike team when they lost their manager and robon was their coach they wanted me to step in to be the manager and i you know i said i said i want to stay being the esports manager for all of it and then i'll just help empower robon to be like coach slash manager mm -hmm. so that was you know, like I've known Robon for a very long time. So like, it was, it was great. Like I, I loved being with, with FaZe Clan. Like it was an amazing, that's why when I knew what was going on with Tifu and what I was like, this is a bunch of bullshit that's going on. Like, it, it, like I'm sorry, but I, I'm on FaZe's side here. Not because I yeah. work with them, but because don't sign something if you don't agree, if you don't plan on 
like with honoring. like you know going honoring it if, if you're gonna sign something which mind you this was not his first contract or organization get a fucking lawyer to do it it's just another one of these like uneducated homeschooled kids their parents are too involved and wanting to make decisions for them and they just don't have any honor in what they sign or what how they want to approach their things you know and like it's a business like without organizations like phase clan we won't have teams to play on or you know people cannot help establish their careers that way so so what do you think about the argument uh, kind of going into this a little bit just because i think it's important uh, there's an argument being made that they were functionally trying to act like a talent agency which kind of happened to you with uh uh a- alex garfield do you think that that's uh, illegitimate or do you think i think there's... it's bullshit because uh like what's tifu like he's a competitive gamer he's a technically in his profile on twitter it's a professional athlete not talent okay. uh he's not a content creator uh if you ever talk to or look at tifu he looks like he's socially awkward like he is definitely not someone who is like content guy like he's not gonna host a tv show like the kid is a fucking badass pro gamer. He is the probably one of the best and most talented Fortnite players. Like he's a fucking he's God's gift to Fortnite competitive playing. Like he's not some guy who's gonna host like your show. He's not gonna do what I do to be a manager or a coach. Like uh-huh. this kid's a fucking gamer. Like if you want to talk about being a talent, talent people are pure streamers. Like maybe the Courage JDs of the world, like the Tim the Tapmans, like maybe the Ninjas who in my opinion were never actually that good at the game. They were just the hype and the content yeah. is what makes him good. Tifu, a guy who's won many events as being number 1, like dude, you're not a fucking talent guy. Like honestly, you're not like you're not and defined by talent under that, it would be people who are under the acting uh you know, production side of things. Like the kid's a fucking gamer. Like he's not talented. Like let's be real here. That's the way I view it too. So that's why I see it from their side. Like I have always been a professional gamer. I don't necessarily agree with being called an athlete, but call me an e-athlete if you want, but I've never been called talent unless someone under a production or maybe you would want to call me talent and say, Hey, who's the, if your producers say, Hey, who's the talent on your show? Like, Hey, it's fraud, but he's actually a professional gamer. Yeah. I'm not talent, you know? Okay. So you were with Chase so, for actually. Go oh, ahead. Go ahead. But here's my thing. EG, what EG did was wrong is because EG was advertising and selling us to sponsors and to Twitch as talent. That is the difference. That's the key here. Okay. EG knowingly and willingly said that we were talent and got paid out for it and operated their CSA or their agency bullshit with EG under their umbrella because we were talent. Face mm-hmm. Clan gave him a competitive agreement. Face Clan has treated him like a competitive gamer. They've not operated with him as a talent. So that's why I'm like, this kid's going to have a problem. Sense. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's going to have a hard time explaining to people that he's a content creator when he's like socially awkward as hell. You know what I'm saying? It just doesn't work. Like, just because you like to jump off bridges doesn't make you like a content guy. Like, you're a daredevil, if anything, but you're, you're a fucking gamer. Like, okay. you're, you're like an e athlete. Okay, I can I can appreciate your 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 look on that. I think that's an interesting way to kind of look at, it, especially considering your history with stuff like um, uh, Evil Geniuses. Like you being yeah. able to because because it, it happened and you were involved in it, you can kind of look at the the two different perspectives uh, kind of differently. So uh, yeah. why did you why did you leave Phase? Um. So what happened with them is actually they wanted to give me further opportunities potentially. Like I wanted to make a lot more money. Obviously, like I was uh, taking on much more responsibilities that when I got on there, like I was originally a player for Overwatch, which was like small time. Then I became the manager and then I became more of the esports manager. Like I want to get paid and I wanted to get paid a lot more money than what I was making. And 
worry more about my future. And they were willing to offer me that, but I had to move to a house in California to be able to kind of help be like the father figure of a content yeah. creation house to like make sure to keep all these people in check. And I was like, look, like I'm just too old. Like I'm a content guy myself in a way. Like, like I'm not a guy that who goes out there and makes something, but I can't like, I told him, I was like, Hey, if you guys want to make like the old man of phase thing and let's make like a counter-strike team to fuck around, like I'll be your guy, like me temper. And some of these guys, like, let's just make a counter-strike team and fuck around. Like, I don't mind helping making some content with it too, but I was just not going to get paid what I wanted to be uproot my life again and move mm -hmm. for video gaming to be a manager slash like potential babysitter depending on what type of content guys were around so it was just not the opportunity for me at the right time so we just mutually decided to like okay no problem like like you can go dude like it was like we, we they like my twitter got hacked uh when i needed help complexity like didn't do shit for me no one answered their calls or phone calls or whatever phase took care of everything for me like the guys over there at phase like they're not perfect but they're there for you like mm -hmm. they were loyal to me when i needed it like they showed that they were there for me when they needed they had no like they showed me more loyalty being a part of phase clan for two weeks than jason like ever did being with him for eight years so yeah. for that i'm forever grateful to them like obviously if they did something completely wrong i would like be hard on them but yeah, like I just don't see them as a bad guy in some things because I know what they're about. I know their mentality. I know they care about people. If they made a mistake, I'm sure it was an honest one. You know, like I'm sure that their efforts are to try and make the best out there yeah. for people not to fuck people over, you know? Yeah. Like they got the money. They got the clout. They're not like Jason Lake who's chasing money, chasing clout, will fuck over his mom to get paid. Like FaZe doesn't need money. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I can see that. So you, you get uh, done with phase, you end, you mutually part ways, um, and then Swole Patrol comes on. And Swole Patrol is kind of big because that's what eventually uh, uh, got picked up by... Uh, well, there's a, there's, a, there, there's a gap in between. I was just going to ask, yeah. what, what, what's the gap like? Because that, that, that was the yeah. next thing that I have, but what's the gap like in between those two? I really wanted to get back into Counter-Strike. So since I have a really good relationship with Robon, I've known him for such a long time, I always thought that, you know an old school badass coach can also be a manager. So I did not want to, I wanted to get back into Counter-Strike, but I didn't want to force myself into phase Counter-Strike management, yeah. which, you know, is like at the time, top three, top four team. Like I think I felt like the public would have thought that I was just fucking trying to clout chase or something. Mm -hmm. Like maybe they thought I was when I came back to complexity, because obviously no one cleared the air with what happened to me in complexity. So I think at that point I was still a little bit insecure about certain aspects of things, but I was, not insecure about my work ethic and what I wanted to do, just maybe how I wanted to get in it. So I wanted to get back into Counter-Strike. I just didn't know how. And the last thing I wanted to do was to force myself. So I was kind of waiting for the right opportunity. Um, I actually started getting into, I created my own business. Uh, when that happened with FaZe Clan, I went and I got my real estate license. Um, so right before I quit them, I took like a week-long course from like 8 a.m. to 7 p.m., did like my mandatory 63 hours of real estate schooling in like a four or five day window and took my, uh, you know, like taught myself it. And then in a four or five day window, went to the classes next day, passed the test day after that passed the state exam and became a realtor within like six days. Like the fastest wow. time you're allowed to in the state of Florida to become a realtor. I did that. Cause it was like mandatory 63 hour course, pass course, take state final. Like I did all that as fast as humanly possible. Ended up like selling a property. So I was like doing my thing. 
I started consulting businesses within like the crypto world, obviously like crypto was blowing up so that there was a lot of esports related companies doing it. So I started doing a little bit of advising, consulting uh, for it. I actually traveled to like Boston, Chicago, Vegas, and some other places to do uh, crypto related events where I was talking to people about getting involved into esports, how I felt like blockchain would actually be beneficial in the esports world. And and I'm a guy who protects and love esports, right? So I was a guy that was like, oh, bullshit, 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 bullshit. So like I like like I did my the who I am now, I started finding my voice in that whole world. That I was like, I'm my own boss. Like if I'm gonna like I don't know who you are, like you're 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 a fucking scam. Get the fuck out of my face. Like I don't need this shit. Like I've been in the business long enough, get out of here. And I had good clients, I made decent money, and it was more of like I wanted to find my way back into Counter-Strike. So that's when Swag, who I've known forever, really good friend. I've been mentoring him for a long time, like behind the scenes, uh, like just like I've done to a lot of pretty like talented players in the States yeah. that I felt like thought the same way I did. And he was he was pursuing me for months to like come back and do this Um until I told him that uh, I will like, okay, Brax, like I'll do that on only under one condition that I come back and I'm the fucking leader of this team. Um, and I told him that uh, I didn't feel like I could given the roster that he has. Cause maybe he had some like ignorant, more old school people that were just not going to be more receptive to what it was. And eventually when roster situations figured itself out and Brax, you know, assured me that I would have that leadership role and that voice, um, then, you know, I said, fuck it, let's do it. And, uh, the first tournament I came back to was that IEM Sydney qualifier with that Swole Patrol team that we ended up mm -hmm. winning. We got fucked over because some of those guys, what ended up happening was we got an offer from United. They told them, I didn't know about this, but they said, uh, we're, we're like, we'll give you the, the offer for United, but you have to cut Brax. Um, they said, okay, fine. No problem. They ended up like just grabbing the the IAM Sydney spot and the core went to I uh United and yeah. basically took our IAM Sydney spot. Left me, Brax and Sam out in the cold. Like they asked me to join them, but I declined because I was not gonna fuck over Brax. Yeah. I came back for Brax. So I turned down the United uh coaching offer to stay with like an unorganized unorganized uh Swole Patrol and to say fuck it. We'll figure it out, brother. Like like I save some money. I have like my own little business kind of like doing my side thing. Like I don't play this for money. So like I play this for winning and to help. And in this case, I'm motivated to bring back success. Um, so it's all about bringing you success, not about the money. I, I've, I've told these guys that the people who make the most in the, in this game are the people who win the most. So the yeah. people who are too focused on winning money in FPL are getting paid the highest salary or the biggest idiots. Because if you just win a couple tournaments a year, you'll easily make more money than anybody regardless of your salary. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So you go through that, you get you get kind of screwed over by E United. What is your guys' game plan then? You're like it's crap. Like by the way, the whole thing with uh cuz it's happened a few times. Like yours is not the only example of like yeah. where a, a core group of people literally just screw over everyone. Um that is the one thing that I will say that I don't really like about um like the open system that is Counter-Strike cuz I feel like it happens a fair amount and I don't know if there's any really good way to stop it from ever happening. Um because of the that's part of the open system is like an open team can come in, they can they can decimate everything, they can uh get a position, but with that, um uh, you can be put in very interesting positions where you kind of get screwed over. So what was your guys' thought process after that? What are you thinking about? I mean, I told him straight up, like, you need to find people that are not going to fuck you over. If anything, find players 
that have been thrown to the curb, that have been left to the side, like to the side that you know that they have a lot to prove. Yeah. And that fucking someone over is like behind them because they're focused on revenge or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like I could, mo- I could channel that motivation properly. Cause that's part of how I became, how me and my guys became the best players and teams in the world because we were all unwanted individuals from our previously good teams and we bound together and we became who we were. So f- same thing I see with like uh, infinite, someone who got an offer from cloud nine, someone came out and said something that he said a long time ago, just to try and fuck him. He got fucked yeah. over. Zelsis went to Cloud9, didn't have the best experience, got cut because the players are dumbasses over there. And this is a whole other topic. Like the core of that team is just completely rotten from like the core players to the coaching and management. Like it's a big, it, it, we talk about the old boys club, like that's another circle jerk. That whole Cloud9 core is a big circle jerk. That's why they've, mm-hmm. they are what they are. Well, anyways, um, Sub Rosa cut from Ghost, labeled as a fucking cheater. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just everybody has had their story and like, perfect. This is exactly what I want. Like players that I can motivate and mold and, and get them to be better regardless of what they've been through. Um, yeah, it just, it's been fantastic, honestly, because mm-hmm. these guys listen to me. The organization has given me enough, uh, like power and strength to instill what I know is best mm-hmm. to be a successful team which is team first things your work ethic the way that you approach your practice things like that so making these players not only um like you know good individuals but professional players the way that they approach their game so for me like i that's why i work as hard as i do with what i do because I'm just beyond grateful for this opportunity. Like I would work as like, this is the same work ethic that I would have for anybody. It's just, I've learned that at least from the whole complexity stuff, I need to lead by my actions more than my words. Um, which is why like I hit the death match in these mornings all day. Like there's a death match that has the ELO of all the pro players. Like I'm always top two, top three in the ELOs of the DMS. Cause like, that's all I have. I don't play FPL. I don't have that shit. So it's like, I can only brag what I got and it's the ELO of a warm-up server for deathmatch. But I use it as a motivational tool for my players where I say, if my ass is up there, top three, top four, like they're winning that half month of, because it just reset now on the first of the month and the 15th or 16th of the month. Like I, need your asses out there too. Like I yeah. need people. I, I, I do what I can to motivate my players because I feel like that's the way to do it. The way like by, lead by example, not by your words, you know, it's like command respect, not demand respect. Yeah, so. exactly. So, so I have a question for you. Did E United not want uh swag because of the ban? Is that why they, they, they didn't take him? Yeah. I think they wanted to try and compete majors. They wanted like E United as from yeah. what I understood, like the organization, did not want to have Brax, and then the couple players were like, "No, oh, no problem. We'll fuck yeah. over Brax." I was like, "Well, he's the one that gave you the opportunity a few weeks ago to be on our team. We won IEM Sydney, and then that was the only like success those players had. And then you know they got a really nice offer for it. That the offer actually should technically come to us or to me, and I should have been the one that says no. Like, fuck you, then United." Because it actually turns out, and funny enough, those same three players or one player that was kind of leading the pack at the time also got the offer from Lazarus. He told Lazarus to fuck off. 
So when they fucked us over, when we rebuilt that Swole Patrol team, that's when Lazarus came back and said, hey, like, you guys never really got back to us. We're like, what? Like, we never even knew that you guys were interested in us in the first place. We never heard of y'all because, you know, like, no one told us about you guys. And it was like a match made in heaven because they were always technically interested in us, and they never knew, like, what roster we were going to build, but they wanted Brax. They wanted me to run their ship. And they kind of had a good idea that we were going to keep our pro league spot based on like us getting Zelsus back and having like the majority of the players at the time. So it was like, yeah, it was like a match made in heaven almost, you know, and they, they really know my history. Uh, the GM used to be, uh, he like started a small organization and he used to actually like, I think sub Rose's first like semi pro team was actually under him. So there's like a decent enough history of these guys experiencing in counter strike to know, some of our players would also know my history and to kind of like, like, let me do my, like, give me enough freedom to do my thing with, for the guys. Yeah. So kind of, kind of looking at Lazarus coming in, one of the things you said is that you weren't willing to move again. So I'm, I'm assuming you guys are down in Florida, um, based on some of the videos and the fact that I've seen trees that look like Florida trees. Uh, no, actually that's, so that's the PUBG house. We have a professional oh. PUBG team and they're actually, that's the house in Redondo beach, I think California. Oh. Um, so we actually have like free reign to go boot camp there whenever we want. Uh, we all as teams and players, uh, chose not to get into a team house. Okay. Lazarus is not forcing us. Um, we have the option to go to that PUBG house whenever it's vacant, whenever and for however long we want, which is going to be like, it's pretty much like it's available for two months every two months or every four months like every four months two of those months are free like they just finished their mpl season it's open till like september the next season will start till like maybe october then it'll be yeah. open november december kind of thing okay so what's that like uh coaching because i imagine you're all remote then uh, like you're all in different areas that's gotta be a very interesting dynamic not coaching in person i don't know if i'm necessarily a fan of team houses i like work environments where like people can go to work but i really do like a separation of kind of like work and uh like home life because i think that especially players i feel like a lot of times players are very very bad at separating those two things um a lot of times. Uh, so what's it like for you coaching remotely? What are some of the, the, the problem areas and what are some of the things that you think are beneficial about it? I mean, the problem areas can be like getting people on the same schedules because thankfully yeah. we're all fortunate right now that we're, most of us are East coast, but uh, infinite is on the West coast. So he's three hours behind us. So that, you know, naturally like we had our qualifiers the other day, they started at noon, which is pretty early for gamers. Well, it started at yes. nine in the morning for him. So even earlier, you know what I mean? So, that's probably the hardest part because I would think that like, like I'm on team speak 24 seven, pretty much. Like if I go to sleep for those four hours in a day, I mute it. So like, I'm one of those guys that like I'm online all the time. Like if mm -hmm. practice starts at uh, four o'clock and goes on till 10 o'clock, like I'm on after I'm on before and we come on, we can play together. We can go through like uh, VODs together. We can talk about our upcoming match together, things like that. So like I am, one of those guys that my goal, like if I could be a coach and I can make my player a little bit better, yeah, I've already succeeded because in my day we had no coaches yeah. in my day. I had to do all the reviews. We had to do all the, the work ethic. Like our worth ethic was second to none. Like we, every single time we played matches, we watched them after every time we won or lost a tournament, especially when we won, we watched the VODs and innovated and came with new strategies. And we, we, we boot camped, once a quarter, everything like 
So that's why I'm like, ah, you guys are lazy now. You guys have coaches to do a lot. Okay, no problem. I got you. But you guys better fucking work hard because I'm not yeah. going to spoon feed you this information for you guys to just walk your asses in bed. Like I expect people like I'm not, I, I understand times are different, but I, I, I still want people to give me their all. Um, so that's where I come into play of like I, I, you know, practice starts at four practice ends at 10. Well, I want people on before and after practice as well, you know, roll in, roll out. But like it's we're, we're trying to build like the camaraderie and the family environment within our player, within the players. And I and I'm not trying to be like a manager like that. I'm trying to be like I'm, I'm actually trying to find my balance more of being a regulator and a friend to them. So my friendliness comes from my experience, me being down to earth with them, playing with them. Like you guys want to fuck around, like let's play three on three, two on two, one on one, no problem. Let's play a pug. But it comes down to like a you're you're like you're misbehaving. You know, like you guys are talking too much shit now. You guys are fucking around. Like it, there comes a th- like that's where I'm getting a good balance of. But it comes down to respect. And if I have the respect of these players, which I know I do by not only my experience but by my work ethic and by what I do every day with them, then I could say what I need to say when I have to say it. And mm-hmm. that's all that I care about because I can. My voice is not going to be stripped from me. And and even if it does, I don't give a shit. Like the other day, I remember we had some comments. People were yelling. I yelled at everyone. I told them I don't give a fuck. My voice is law. I just left the voice because I'm like I don't care. Conversation's done. Like I I like if 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 immaturity or hatred has to come anywhere, it has to be directed towards me. I don't yes. want hatred directed at the players within each other. I don't want animosity built within each other. I'd rather take it and yeah. then filter it out but i'm not gonna put up with some of the bullshit that stems from lack of respect for each other that's what i told him i was like in my dojo number one rule is respect that's what i tell them so if they don't operate with that and they don't lead with that their arguments aren't valid from that from, from number one regardless of what it is if you don't come with respect it's it's it's, it's pointless Mm-hmm. So kind of looking at uh, Lazarus, uh, what is your guys' goal? Like, I think a lot of different uh, organizations have, like, lots of different goals in what they're uh, uh, trying to do and trying to oh, – there we go. Uh, uh, what they're trying to do and what they're trying to achieve. What is the, the long-term – like, what's your goal for Lazarus for a year? Let's use a year because a year is pretty long in esports. I mean, we – like, my goal would be to get into, like, the top 20 – Top mm-hmm. 30, I would say. I want to establish ourselves because basically the way I see it is we're a team that was ranked 1,000. Like we were nobodies. Yeah. So the fact that we're ranked like 48th or top 50 right now is pretty good accomplishment in the short amount of time that we've been together, which is because we won the IEM City thing, which would have yeah. given us huge points. United took that. So like all our ELO or whatever is pretty much based on getting last place at EPL, which was like our first week together yeah. and then all of our other accomplishments thereafter so if we've been able to get to top 50 with all of that in this amount of time it's it's i know that i i, I could build a winner like that and if the guys buy in and they slowly see the success coming they'll eventually buy into the full program so for me on a personal level if i can get the guys to buy in and continue to believe that would be a personal goal of mine because I know that if they buy in and they truly believe and they let me do my thing, we will get top 20, top 30. Like it's a given. We will mm-hmm. be there. Whether we can break the hurdle of being one of the better teams in the world, whether we can go out there and win a, a big event, that that comes at a different late, a moment in our you know, trajectory. 
But based on where I think we can go and how I can lead us, I know it could be like in the top 20, top 30 easily. Now, going to come hard, going to come work, but I, I know what I'm capable of and I know how I can get these guys to fire on all cylinders to get to that point. Yeah. And breaking that hurdle is a different conversation. I know how to do it. So if they buy in and they believe, maybe within a couple of years, we can really, really break you know, top 15, top 10, depending okay. on... But, but here's my thing too. We know this and we don't care about going to majors. Mm-hmm. So I was actually we, just going to ask about that. Yeah, is if like, we have, you guys can't ever go to majors right now with Braxton unless he gets on band. Yeah, but look what happened. We got two ringers and we still beat everybody to qualify for the minor. Like I believe in my system. I don't need all the players and all the tools to bring success. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's where it goes back to believe in the system and trust me, I will bring you success with whatever way that we can figure it out. Right. And they're, why do I play the death match all the time? Because you never know. Like I may need to step in and play sometimes. Like maybe guys get sick if they want, if, if my, so here's the thing too. They asked me if I wanted to play. I said, no, I'm not here to play. So if they want me to play, it's going to be because my ass is in a death match all the time and I've earned the right to be the ringer. Not because I want to be the ringer. But if they want to go out and get other ringers for the major run, no problem. Go do it. We'll win with them. So that's kind of my mindset of like, honestly, like Brax is a damn good player, but I've won championships with our fifth not being fully there. Like most of the championships and most of the core teams I've been on, our fifth was actually not really like relevant. Like he was like our fifth was always checked out. He was like an old guy. He was too much. In, another, guy, another girl was too much in, like, too into his girlfriend. Uh, one guy was just like not as talented. We <laughs> still found success all throughout because I know that if, if, if they replace Brax with me for a major run, we'd probably have just as much success with or without him because the system is much more important. Like, yeah, he's a definitely like 20 times better player than I'll ever be, especially at this moment in time. But if we buy into something, well, and I mean, I have faith. Eventually he'll get unbanned. Hopefully maybe he will, maybe he won't. He doesn't hold out on hope. I'll never stop fighting for or advocating for it yeah. to some extent. But like, look, the way I see it too, man, Look at look at ESL one Cologne that's going on right now. That's a fucking major. When you have the best teams in the world in one yeah. building, that's a major. I've come I've won tournaments that were labeled majors because every team and their moms were there. Yeah. So when someone says, Oh, we have a major and the reason why we call it a major is because we give out stickers, like that's bullshit to me. Like when you have a failed qualification system where the actual best teams of their country do not make it there and there's no chances for like storylines of like the fifth or sixth best team in your country to actually make it and to be a top, top team. And you're basically handing out free stickers to the top 10 organizations that yeah. you like all circle jerk each other. It's not a major. It's a fucking circle jerk fest. Like, who's gonna win? The, who's gonna win? Like, I don't give a fuck about stickers. And if players and my and the, obviously the players who quit us from before are more more motivated to get stickers and go to majors than to actually find success, and that's on them. You yeah. know, like like I said, success is measured by winning events, not by winning like what other people deem as majors. Okay, so kind of uh, uh, going into that, I think that that's. To be honest, that is basically covers the list of questions. I think we've covered your life pretty well. Is there anything else you wanted to add that maybe I forgot to go over or I didn't mention? But I think we've covered almost everything about your life. No, I mean, uh, like I think, uh, you know, a lot of things, what I want to say is that, 
you know, I appreciate you bringing light to a lot of these things because, you know, when I was, when I was coming up, I would, I, I preferred to be that mysterious person because I'm not someone that likes to bring light to the negativity or yeah. to how I got there. I'd rather people just be like, damn, like, I, like, I don't know how the fuck fraud's the best, but he's the best. But I started realizing over time that, you know, the tr- like I obviously knew this, but the, the truth shall, shall shall set you free. So it's one of those things that I'd rather be more honest and hope. Like I've always been someone that's given lessons. Like even when I was 17, 16 years old, like I was giving lessons to other players and aspiring pros. Like I've always been someone that's more like, like we know how Tifu claims that he wants to better the community. It's like, like, yeah. Sure, Tifu. Like what I've been doing and what I intend on doing is actually trying to help the community and help other pro gamers in the future. I've had conversations at universities, trying to help, you know, talk to parents and explain to them, don't do what my parents did. Actually get involved with your children's life. You know, gaming is not as bad as it was. See what they're doing. Don't be like that. I think that as long as like Things like this are going to help bring a lot of attention and hopefully it can bring a lot of traction not only into the negativity that some people have done and the bad that have some have done, but the good that others have done. Yeah. And, you know, taking the path least traveled can actually get you the most success. Um, you know, so don't be afraid to go against the grain. Don't be afraid to go, like, to truly believe in what you think that you're capable of and no one especially like that's not you should be able to tell you what your capabilities are you know so that's kind of my thing and i've always been someone who's been very very like strong mentally and i've gone through plenty of things enough where i could have been broken but i always fell back on family and faith and religion and things like that to kind of when bad things happen to me it's because it was meant to be not because like I'm doomed, you know, Yeah. there's something better out there for me or something else for me or wasn't in God's plan or something, you know, like that's where you believe in destiny and things like that. Like if you truly believe that you're destined for something, then you'll find that success there and you'll get it. And, you know, not, no one can deny you of those opportunities and what you're meant to do. So like if you're meant for greatness, like you're going to attain it, like regardless of the obstacles that you, you, you encounter. Yeah, I can, I can get behind that. So I do actually, there's one question I always ask my guests at the end of my show, um, and it's hard or easy depending on who you are. So you've had the experience being on the show. It's very unique, I think. Um, I'm not just uh, tooting my own horn there. I think it's very much different. But assuming that uh, uh, you could see anyone on the show that you would like to see, they just you, the, there's two requirements. They need to speak English because I'm uncultured and only speak English. Um, and they need to be involved in esports in some aspect. It does not have to necessarily be CS. Um, does it have to necessarily be a player or coach or manager? It could be behind the scenes. Um, it could be a different game. Uh, they just have to involved in esports in some way who would you like to see on the show i mean i think that i think like an old guard like i mean obviously i will be considered in the old guard but i was more on like the playing side of it but i think someone who will be like on the older guard like even like anders like he's a great person but like he's more into like the newer generation yep. like 2008 ish and stuff like that i would say maybe someone like a scoots um someone like jason like he's you know, worthless, Garfield, worthless, guys like that. Like, I would say someone <clears throat> that's kind of old school in that mindset that knows the tournament side of things too because there's a guy named Carmack out there. Okay. Um, 
uh, Carmack, I don't have a contact for him, but he's a guy who's been involved with like ESL for 15 yeah. years. I've, or so. I've, I've heard, I've heard his name before. I think, I think, yes. I, I think Anders I might be able to get you in contact with some, with him, but someone like Scoot, cause Scoot's, you know, obviously he, like he, his name, great, like, like people think it's because of the EG that he was known, but it wasn't. He was actually God, helped. God make frag. Thought frag. Yeah. I actually had him on the show. It was a, a three and a half hour episode, I think. Oh, okay. So like, yeah. I, okay. Was, so if you've had him, yeah, that's, yeah. He's someone that I feel like you can get a lot of good insight from, you know, maybe yeah. like a, another guy like myself. I think that um, guys that would have been considered the best in their craft at some point. Um, I think we all have a different approach. Yeah. I mean, like, okay. I think that we're all very similar in certain ways and how like passionate and dedicated we are and like how cutthroat in certain things we are. Yeah. But I think you'll find how different stories and different things motivated someone to become like for me, it was probably, I would say a mix of the hardships of my family and having a shitty org owner like Jason being, uh, my two biggest motivations to, you know, succeed. Um, you, you'd never know what someone else's story was to be the best or what motivated them. And I think that the insight to a lot of approach and mindset is good because i only give this juice to my guys that i coach and i live and die for them and i try and teach them lessons constantly but it's it's only to those guys you know i don't talk about this on a more public level um so i don't I mean maybe another coach zonic would be a good coach he's someone that i uh i actually won my first major against zonic so like he's someone that you know i look up to i admire in a way but I'm like, ah, boys, and I could be better than him. You know, like the, the results have shown. So when I got back into coaching, I admire him and I'm like, I want to be like Zonic, but better because yeah. I know I can. So it's like, it's, it's like, I respect him, but I, I know I could do better and be better. So like, like, that's why I, I definitely admire him. And I'm sure that he'd have like a very good insight because he was someone who I say that because like, he was kind of like me, like he was someone who was competing for majors all the time and had a damn good team for a very long time. And he's being able to replicate the success. And when guys say, Oh, this is why Astralis is successful, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, 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 no. Listen to me, pay attention to this part of it. And then the guy's like, Oh shit, I didn't think about that. I didn't think about how the approach would go. I didn't think about how you can, how building like the structure is much more important because like, for here's an example, someone like Astralis, like how do you be how, like being, becoming the best team in the world? It's probably a part of a mystery because maybe teams don't know how to play against you properly, whatever. The most difficult part is staying the best team in the world. Yeah. And staying the best team in the world is something that my team was able to do for a little bit of time and something Astralis was able to do for a lot longer. It's based on the foundation that you have and being able to adapt from the foundation because you want to work smarter, not harder. Yeah. And when you're the best team in the world and you have all the eyes looking at you, you have to constantly innovate and you have to constantly change your ideas. People think, oh, Astralis is creating brand new, completely innovative strategies. I'm like, no, they're not. They're just editing and customizing what they do as a base to a specific opponent. And that's what allows them to have immediate success against there. But it's also goes back to their work ethic and their practice, because if they have one specific strat on one map that they can customize against every single team in the world, it looks different. Their strat book looks versatile, but it's actually practically impossible to have 30, 40, 50 strats per side, per map, per team. So it's like working smarter, not harder. Like I said, being a step ahead of your opponent like that. Yeah. I, I fully get behind that. I like that. I think that those are those are good choices to have on the show. Um, I don't really don't do shoutouts, but if you want shoutouts, you're more than welcome to have any. 
Uh, I mean, just to, uh, you know, I, you, I appreciate you for bringing me on, uh, for Lazarus, uh, for making that possible Logitech, one of our big sponsors, um, just a shout out to, you know, all the fans out there that would, uh, stick through this long interview. I know it's very lengthy and long, but I'd really hope that you guys can see it because there's a lot of information here that, uh, maybe I've not, I've unfortunately I've not been so public about some things, but as you guys may understand or realize now through this video, uh, why certain things were the, what they were and, you know, I'm, I'm a very approachable person. I just don't, like, I'm not, like, out there. You know what I'm saying? So if people have issues, people have questions, like, I'm always drop me a line, like, I'm around, you know? So um, for me, like I said, I'm actually truly invested in the longevity of esports. And for me, someone that's been on the playing side, now coaching and managing as well, like, you never know if org ownership at some point may be in the, the books for me. But for me, like, I actually do want to stay involved in esports and, and do something good with it. So as long as I can find my way and my voice in here, like, I'm cool with whatever position I have, you know? Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it, Danny. You've been a wonderful guest. It's been a lot of fun having you on the show. Um, for all of you out there, this has been Deep Dives in the Minds of Esports. My name is Blake Panashevitz, and until next time, I hope you all have a wonderful day.